Hello, everybody. Welcome to your third daily drop of the Cane and Rinse end of year gaming discussions. Your advent calendar of game criticism. Ooh, yeah. That's nice. Uh, yeah, we haven't come up with a. I haven't come up with a proper name. This is kind of relatively ad hoc for us. My name's Leon. I'm here with Ryan. I can vouch for that. This is day three, and uh, the third of our five sessions in which. Members of the regular rotation of Kane and Rince podcast contributors come together and chew over the games that were released and that they played in 2019. So don't worry, you won't have any of that boring. Well, I mean, you will because there'll be individuals who didn't play everything that's on every session, but you won't just have an entire game discussed as like this. Did you play that game? No, I didn't play that game. Uh, did you? How about you, Ryan? Did you play that game? Uh, no, I, d- I probably didn't. Yeah, but people say it's quite good. So, uh, so there's, so that's that's that out of the way. You won't hear any more of that, hopefully. <laughs> uh, what will you hear though in session three? You will hear Josh, McKeel, John, myself, and Jacob. Uh, a, uh, a quite robust lineup of contributors this time around uh, go through some uh, some nice uh, small little indie games like a short hike and East Shade all the way up to some of the biggest games of the year like Sekiro Shadows Die Twice and mm-hmm. uh, Resident Evil 2. I mean, we get into Outer Wilds on this one. There's, uh, you know, there's some real opinions about wolfenstein youngblood it's a it's Ah. an interesting game or it's an interesting show a great panel of of really uh really smart folks i mean you know not to count myself among them i'm a a big fan of josh mckeel john and jacob specifically Yeah, Jacob. Uh, not only is he our as uh, a sort of child prodigy of the of the crew, <laughs> albeit a very beardy child, uh, he's doing fantastically well with his own YouTube channel because his video essays are excellent, like high quality fare. Um, I'm, you know, we're very proud of him. I'm just, you know, we just hope that over time, some of his millions of viewers head our way. Um, but he also, as well as being a prodigy in that sense, I think he also completed Sekiro in its first weekend of being released yeah yeah he seemed to have no trouble at all with what that a one. freak i know <laughs> i mean i haven't played it uh so here's that that conversation again but um but i understand those games are quite challenging and of course the thing about sekiro is compared to the souls games and bloodborne is you can't level up you just got you gotta get good and yeah. he did just instantly like so i mean i know age age is some part of it but i would never have been you know i was i was not i'm probably as good at games now as i was when i was 23 which is mediocre (laughs) so uh so yeah not only is he really smart at talking about games he's also really good at playing them Mm -hmm. so i I think maybe i should fire him yeah probably i mean i I feel like he stands uh... out doesn't he he sticks (laughs) he sticks out like a sore thumb (laughs) yeah i don't mean it i love you all folks uh and here we go here we go hello i am joshua garrity and i am joined by ryan hello john hello mckeel hi and jacob hello Let's dive straight into our list of games with a short hike. Ryan, why don't you start us off with this one? Right. So A Short Hike is an indie game that was published by Humble Bundle 
since it was published by them, it was also included in one of the Humbly Monthly uh, giveaways, or not giveaways, but the subscription service. And so I came across it there. And it's a uh, it's a really nice, just very basic isometric platformer kind of viewed from above. And you play a little crow kind of on summer holiday and uh, in this little island and is uh, kind of set a a goal for himself to climb to the top of the mountain that's in the center of the island. And it's all very uh, it looks very Animal Crossing esque. It has a, a filter over the screen that makes it look kind of pixely in a like in like an, a nintendo ds kind of way where it was like technically real 3d but there might have been some like faking behind the scenes to make it look like 2d 3d um but it's uh it's a pleasant little platformer you uh, it's very i'd say low challenge but um it feels like the type of game where you can kind of be creative with your platforming which is my favorite kind there's not like a prescriptive route up the mountain you uh, gain the ability to climb and then to glide as you collect golden feathers which kind of serve as power-ups allowing you to perform these more kind of advanced actions the the more golden feathers you have the longer you can climb the longer you can glide and using kind of that combination of things it's the type of game where uh, just like breath of the wild really where you can kind of like wedge yourself in a little crevice of of polygons to (laughs) Uh, that may or may not have been intentionally left there to recharge your stamina. And um, it, it just feels very kind of freeform and very pleasant. Um, but all the while, it's a it's a very friendly game. The other characters in the island are really um, just seem like really friendly people. And um, I, I ended up having a really good time with it. It only takes about an hour to play, I'd say, thus the title. And it's a it's a very nice game. Yeah, I feel like you kind of buried the lead here, Ryan, which is like, this is tiny breath of the wild and it's mm. kind of crazy that that works as an indie game because you you feel like breath of the wild part of the appeal is like oh it's so big and you can go everywhere but the the two actions of just being able to climb everything and glide from tall places translate remarkably well to this like little toy world that it's taking place in and it it really you know gave me a lot of the same excitement as Breath of the Wild, just in this like really condensed time span. Um, it's one of my favorite games of the year, and and I just found it incredibly pleasant. And as someone who's tired of really long games, um, you know, just the perfect length to like sit, have a good time the whole time through, and and then kind of like be left with a pleasant memory. Um, yeah, I will completely echo basically what both of you guys have already said. Um, I picked this up pretty much just because I looked down the list of the games that we were potentially going to be talking about today and I saw this and I went and checked it out on Steam and it was, you know, it said it was very short. It was only, I think, you know, really inexpensive. So I I just jumped into it and I think the uh, the description of Tiny Breath of the Wild is pretty much spot on. I mean, I just like the the sort of the cuteness and the charm that's there with your little bird character uh, talking to other anthropomorphic animals and fulfilling fairly minor tasks. Most of them are just, you know, go and find an item that they lost or, you know, see if you can beat me in a race or let's play this volleyball game that we've set up. And most of it's just based around getting more golden feathers so that you can eventually reach the top of the, the hiking trail, climbing up a rock face that needs a certain number. And it's, you know, there's a, a sort of a critical path to do that. 
but then you know I think probably twice as much extra stuff that you can get around with doing and I lost 20 minutes probably just sat there fishing playing around with a fishing mini game and buying bait and it's just all just very pleasant and relaxing and it was a, a real sort of breath of fresh air at the end of what I remember being a rather crap day at work so yeah I would highly recommend. Well you've convince me that i need to i need to pick this up quick tiny breath of the wild sounds perfect to me let's move on to astral chain um which is a game i've been playing today um and 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 been really enjoying for a few weeks now so astral chain is the latest game from platinum those behind bayonetta vanquish near automata the Legend of Korra. Uh, the basic premise of it is that you control two characters. One is the main player character who's part of this sci-fi police force. And then the other is um, the uh, legion that is attached to you via an astral chain. And I have to say, this game makes a terrible first impression because when you first start off the game, it's just you as the cop and all you have is a basic attack. And at first, I was like, okay, they, they're going to introduce the, the astral chain and what have you, so fine, whatever. And then they introduce the legion and the astral chain and it feels... And for a while, it feels really basic. And the, what you can do with the the Legion is almost as simple as just tell it to go over there, tell it to come back. And and that felt like about it for quite a while. Um, there's a little mechanic with um, tying people up, um, but being able to execute that in the moment is really, really difficult. It's not until later on where this, um, I'm going to avoid spoilers, but this climax, like this big event happens in the story. And then suddenly the combat opens up, uh, drastically. Um, and it unlocks. So the, I think the key is the sync abilities that it introduces you to. So basically, if you pull off a certain combo with your player character, then you can sync an attack with the, uh, the Legion. Um, then there's stuff like you can clothesline enemies that are charging towards you with the chain and like fling them across the map. There's just so much in there once it actually lets go of, lets go of the player and lets them play and lets them experiment with the system. It's honestly probably my favorite combat system of any game I've played this year. I just, it's so creative and fun. The story is utter nonsense. Um, it's just very typical anime over the top fare. And, you know, it's, it's 2019. So playing as a police does feel a little bit iffy but the game's not taking itself terribly seriously if it was like hard-nosed serious cop drama maybe i would um uh, have more problems with that but um because it's just over the top anime fun i can just i can go along with the ride it, it feels like platinum taking a step back from the kind of narrative focus of something like near automata and kind of returning to 2009 and 2010 when they were putting out games like bayonetta and vanquish and really focusing in on a set of systems that creates a huge amount of joy yeah you immediately homed in on the combat josh and that's not strange considering it's a it's a platinum game game when it was first announced, and it, it's only it was only re announced a couple of months before its actual release, right? Uh, on E3, yeah, if yeah, I'm yeah, recalling yeah. that correctly. 
I already, from the trailers, I saw that this is going to be a little bit different. And I uh, I don't do this often, but I sort of avoided all further coverage. I didn't download the demo when it came out. I just wanted to go into this game completely fresh and get be surprised along the way. So I agree with you that the combat, uh, combat felt uh, very limited initially, to, to say the least. But I didn't uh, let that cloud my impression because I was kind of interested in this world and this, uh, the setting that, uh, that they've created. Just the, the overall sense of, of style uh, with, the, with the huts and the, 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 the cell-shaded universe and the use of color and the, the music that came, uh, came with it. So I was sort of letting this game wash over, it, over me when I uh, started playing it, not making too many judgment calls uh, or not making too, too harsh a judgment uh, initially. And kind of enjoying the the experience. And you're absolutely right. I mean, I'm in chapter five now. Uh, I've been playing little bits and pieces of it because I had a lot a lot of uh, other games to play for the podcast, and uh, still still backlogs to work through. I kind of live for games like this. I, I really enjoy the sort of the chapter setup where you sort of get a, an overall mission, and there's a, there's a sense of mystery around when you walk through the city and uh, and talk to NPCs, and you sort of start piecing in a very rudimentary way, but still quite satisfying what exactly happened on these uh, crime scenes, and then it usually culminates in you having to enter a portal and go into the world that the otherworldly threat, the uh, the, the chimera, uh, hail from. Uh, yeah, that those are basically the the dungeons of the game. Yeah, been really enjoying what I've played from it so far. Played some more of it last night in preparation for this. Uh, so yeah, I, I reached the end of chapter four, and now I'm in chapter five. Like you said about the story and the setting, it's all very referential. I think to early '90s manga and anime, sort of this uh, Dominion Tank Police, the Giver, all the, the calls or all 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 those kind of uh, uh, yeah mangas and animes uh, to mind. It's a completely fantasy universe, and and the cops in it might as well just be knights, or they might be military people, you know, pa- power rangers, power, to be power rangers, for, yeah. for example. Yeah, so it's this real, real, real fantasy, uh, fantasy sci-fi setting, which I'm very much enjoying. Um, yeah, it's uh, superb stuff. Mikhail, mm. that headquarters music though, yeah, it's so good, yeah, it's so good, <laughs> you, <laughs> it's, it's so good. It's it's, it's a real toe tapper and head bobber, and you just want to walk around yeah. the, the 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 police uh, precinct all the time. Around there, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, moving on. Um, just a disclaimer for this next game. Um, we're going to talk about Blasphemous. Um, I actually work for a company that works with Team 17 who published this title. I'm not going to be talking about the game, but just so, uh, that there, I'm being completely transparent. Um, but Jacob is going to be discussing his opinions on Blasphemous. Take it away. It's, it's a whole mishmash of kind of indie genre hot topics right now it's a metroidvania it's a souls like it's pixel art but really i think what what sells this game is the art because it is just this it's it's soaked in kind of religiosity and specific kind of specifically like you know kind of catholic themes of like weird self-inflicted torture and crucifixion and like bones of saints everywhere and so immediately upon playing it you're you're met with these 
just gorgeously animated cutscenes that are the only the only pixel art I can think of that kind of is the same level of quality is like the opening of Hyper Light Drifter, the the kind of big opening cutscene there. But unlike that game, which is kind of sci-fi fantasy, this is all like a gross supernatural medieval time um and and you are playing some sort of knight who's who's making his way through for for very unclear purposes um this world full of monsters and as a game it's really solid you know the the fighting feels nice and punchy it's challenging but it's not too challenging some of the platforming is a real pain in the butt but it does you know it does the souls things of like interconnected world really well and and there are lots of bosses that are really beautifully animated but really i think if you're going to like this game you're going to like it because of the art style because that is so so good and if you're not in it for the art style you could probably find other games that do the same thing better but as someone who is very taken with the aesthetic i really enjoyed uh, my my whole time with blasphemous if you would like to hear more from the developers of blasphemous the game kitchen uh, check out the sausage factory episode 251 where chris o'regan chats to enrico colinet check it out Right, the next game we're talking about is Control. Jacob, you actually made a video um, where Control wasn't the only subject. Um, you were talking about anatomy as well. The title of that video, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, is uh, Control, Anatomy and the Legacy of the Haunted House. It is excellent. Go go watch it. So I, I would like to start with you, um, if that's okay. Like, what? Because you were clearly... Um, passionate enough about um control to dedicate a large portion of that video to to the game so what what what's what what drives that passion what 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 about control um excited you yeah so i think anyone who's familiar with my channel will know how much i talk about architecture from the very first announcement of control the fact that they were using like brutalism as the architectural style as a selling point i was just like oh this is a game for me because not only do i find like that style in particular really interesting but just the idea of a game selling itself on the type of architecture used in the levels is fascinating <laughs> you know and um and especially a like a triple a game and a game that looks as gorgeous as control does um and so even before I started playing, I pretty much knew that I was all in on just the world of the game, which is in control. It's this giant kind of invisible skyscraper called the oldest house. And and the house is a place of power and it has all this supernatural stuff in it. And, and the walls are kind of alive and, and the geometry doesn't really make sense. And so then you go through what I think it's almost a surprisingly straightforward adventure in this crazy house but from the beginning i knew that that the building was what i was there for and in that respect the game absolutely did not disappoint yeah, this is uh, one of my favorite games of the year i'm I'm really into this game which you know i i knew you, you can kind of get a sense by watching certain videos <laughs> what games you're going to be into and when this one started coming out, uh, like really mixed reviews at the beginning, I got a little worried, but um, 
sometimes those are the best games. Sometimes those ones where you really kind of take a gamble, where people have strong opinions in both directions, um, make for some of the most memorable experiences. Um, I, I really love how how fluid it feels. Like this is just a a good feeling game for as good as it looks and as interesting as the premise and writing is. Like there's, it's just super satisfying, extremely punchy. The gun. I would say the guns all feel great. The gun in all of its many forms feels great. The uh, throwing around pieces of the environment is extremely cool. Just kind of force pushing desks and watching papers and stuff fly everywhere is extremely impressive. I'm playing this one on PC and due to uh, boring professional circumstances that I'm not going to get into here, I went from having a uh, three 1080p display lineup to having a couple of 4K monitors plugged in. My graphics card can run it at 4K, but it gets super, super hot. And so it's kind of marred my experience a little bit, having to kind of hop in and out of the graphics settings and try to just like nudge things here and there to try to get it from melting the computer. So, you know, I, I hate when like technical limitations kind of affect the way that you experience a game because otherwise like I'm entirely into this, but there's been a few kind of technical hitches along the way. Uh, when I'm playing at 4K, kind of across the board textures won't load in and everything just stays very blurry and mushy, which I guess is a, I think it's a problem with the engine because what was the previous one? Quantum Break did the same thing on a lot of rigs, which is a bit of a shame. But, uh, you know, when I can get it running and when my computer is feeling properly <laughs> ventilated, uh, it, it really is a stunning game, uh, especially running with the ray tracing on and everything. It, like it looks incredible, plays incredibly. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm super looking forward to finishing this one. Hmm. I was also very impressed with Control. Um, I've been uh, very outspoken in the past. I think that I was one of the few people potentially who really, really liked Alan Wake back when I played it in 2010. I don't know if that opinion would hold up particularly well nowadays. Um, bits and pieces I've seen of it suggest that it may not have been as good as I used to think. Um, but I thought... The combination of the storytelling and the gameplay loop in Control worked really, really well for me, as Ryan said. The ability to just rip pieces of the ground out of the floor and, and fling them at people. and They add a lot of different weapons and stats and powers and things. Basically, everybody that I've heard talking about this game says, oh, I didn't flip between the six different weapons. I found like one or two that worked really well and just went with that. And I was exactly along those lines in the same with just throwing bits of concrete at people constantly. Uh, the only thing that I thought potentially uh, made the game sort of fall down a little bit for me was I think it just goes on a bit too long and they don't ever really change up any of the, the things that happen. The storyline is fine throughout, but I think after maybe 12 to 15 hours of it, I was starting to get a little bit fed up of the, the combat loops and the just lots and lots of almost sort of pointless side quests popping up saying, oh, go to this area and just, you know, there's suddenly like a little mini horde mode for you to take care of. I found that a lot of that distracted from the critical path. And I think I would have preferred a, a 10 hour experience rather than a 20. But that's, you know, by the by, probably for most other people. In terms of control as a gameplay experience, I'm a little bit mixed on it. Um, I think 
the first half of it is really, really strong, mostly kind of leaning on player empowerment rather than difficulty. Um, I think the mechanics hold up well enough uh, in the face of kind of, you know, easy to mild challenge. But then um, towards the end of the game, they really start to pile it on. And I just don't... And it's for me, really, it is kind of the last two set-piece action moments that kind of uh, drag this game back for me because there's just so many people with missile launchers and there are so many enemies that do so much damage and you can recover health from killing enemies, but it felt like there's so much projectiles flying about that death could come from anywhere. Also, that like full damage instantly kills you, which I just think is such a mistake in this game where you want people to be playing and be free. Let them have that one mistake and let them, you know, recover just like let them just respawn with a little bit of health cut off uh, on a platform that's stable instead of having to start the whole section again because you fall. The way it chooses to be difficult is to just overwhelm the player, and that's not my favorite way of adding challenge. Um, so the the combat kind of lost its luster towards the end of the game. What never did, though, was the aesthetics. Um, as Jacob said, the architecture um, is fantastic, but I, I I would I would also draw attention to the effects work and animation. Um, the when you kill um, one of the hiss and that oily, smoky thing comes off, I know everyone's commented on this, but it is worth noting. Like it looks incredible. It just that alien feeling of you are fighting something that is beyond what you understand and the way they react to being damaged and and hurt is not in the sense that you would expect of any other normal living creature um all of that stuff is great and the sound design um the sound of that like that whoosh sound as you pick up something telepathically and then launch it at an enemy all of the sound design is just um top class um so yeah for me this is like uh, this is this is a game to experience for as its aesthetics um but um i i would be tempted to to tell newcomers to bump it down too easy because i just don't think it's it's difficult in an interesting way I don't remember it having any difficulty settings. I think that stood out to me when I started it, that there, well, I couldn't find anything. Good luck, then. <laughs> good luck um, uh, dealing with those last few encounters. So how would you describe the combat system? Uh, because I haven't played a, a bit of it. I've seen some videos. Uh, if you, let's say, you know, Alan Wake, for example, has a very clear sort of combat dynamic in with, with the, the torchlight and uh, and... You know, making enemies vulnerable to your regular weapons. Is there is, is there some kind of similar hook uh, to the combat in uh, Control? It definitely has a hook uh, that's similar in that both your psychic powers and your kind of gun has has recharging energy. And so, typically, how I played was was you know you get a couple shots off, then you you pick up like you know stuff from the environment and start throwing it around until mm. that's done and and some enemies have vulnerabilities to specifically thrown objects or your gun um and so you're just kind of swapping from one to the other while the um while the bars recharge mm. it's not it, it's certainly not as strict as Alan Wake in terms of like you have to 
burn them with the light before shooting them. Mm-hmm. But it's also not particularly deep. You know, a lot of combat encounters can be basically solved by throwing items provided that you are good enough at avoiding the damage the enemies are throwing at you mm-hmm. but it is it's it's certainly satisfying and like everyone else said the effects are good enough that it makes it all feel very punchy yeah interesting it also does that alan wake thing um this is kind of their uh, studio trademark of including live action video in some of the cutscenes, which is uh strange I, I don't care for it but it also feels less wrong here than it has before um, I feel like yeah. this game plays like an episode of the X-Files kind of cranked up to 11. And so having that kind of otherworldly in a literal sense in that uh, the game takes place within the game world. And then there are things from our world being pulled in with the live live actors. Uh, it, it it fits better here than I think it ever has before. And there's nothing as jarring as turning on a TV and Alan Wake and seeing a real world commercial playing. I, I think it also helps I, the the actors that they've cast to this game. I think they deliver stronger performances than in their previous games. It's it's a really solid cast. I haven't played uh, the uh, what's the time travel one called Quantum Break. I know they've got a bunch of A listers in there. I haven't played that one. I'm sure Aidan Gillen delivers an Oscar worthy performance, but based on based on the games of theirs that I've played, I think the, this is probably the strongest acted um of um the yeah of their their catalog and uh it's also worth noting that there are very few like strictly required viewings of the the live action things a lot of them in this are like you're walking past the tv and it just happens to be on and you can watch it if you want um which i think makes it i mean quantum break did the whole like you literally just have to watch a whole episode of a tv show um and it's it's not that intrusive but um yeah i think i think it works and there's some stuff that i don't want to spoil later on in the game that is just so weird and off kilter that i kind of think it makes the whole thing worth it um so i i ended up being a fan of them despite myself Mikiel, why don't you introduce our next title? Dance of Death, Dulac and Fay is a adventure game, um, you know, in the style of uh, uh, graphic adventures where you click around the screen and make characters walk there and solve little puzzles and do things. It's developed by Silex Games uh, and Jessica Saunders, who and the studio is made up of some old, uh, some ex Rocksteady people. And it's uh, yeah, it's set in Victorian London during the time of the Ripper killings. And you, as Sir Lancelot Dulac, who has uh, gained immortality together with Morgana Le Fay, who has turned into a dog, uh, are yeah, sort of are sort of bound to try and solve these murders. I really like the setting of this game. I've reviewed it for the website, uh, uh, I should say as well, for canarins.com, uh, so you can read my full full review uh, of the game on there. So I really like the setting of the game. I really like the uh, sort of the atmosphere that that it conveys, but it has two problems. One is sort of highly subjective, uh, and that's that I want to do more sleuthing in a game game like this, like really piece things together and uh, and do some real uh, yeah whodunit style murder solving. But it's more or less a telltale type of uh, adventure game where you sort of walk between characters and pick from dialogue uh, choices that's that's what uh about 80 percent percent of the game comes down to uh so it's basically 
very narr- very narrative driven um and i think for me personally that's a bit of a missed opportunity and the other issue i had it is just yeah it's 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 a fairly rough game it has uh, a lot of rough edges which do take you out of the experience or uh, at least that did to, did to me and do yeah feel feel very jarring uh, at times but uh, at 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 the same token, I'm kind of interesting to see, interested to see because it, since it's built up as a, a first episode of a continuous uh, story, I'm kind of interested still to see where this uh, this will go in the future. Uh, can I ask um, what's the uh, sort of the art style on this like? Because after reading the little summary on here, my immediate thought, and you know, this may be as cliche as you want, was, oh, this is this is probably going to end up being sort of an anime-style JRPG. You can just imagine a, a Arthurian anime set in Victorian London. But, yeah, paint a picture for me, please. Paint is, uh, is the key word here. The backgrounds are hand-painted, uh, and the characters are 3D models, basically. And they're slightly comical also in, um, yeah, let's say, the uh, not not quite to that extent, but they they have exaggerated features uh, and everything, so they're, they're quite kind of comically rendered most of the characters uh, another thing is that i think this yeah this this is probably a budget and time thing but at some point you see much a, a lot more like background characters uh enter the scenes and some of them are 3d uh, uh 3d models and some of them are actually hand painted again so it's and it's fairly obvi- obvious to spot so it's a bit of a clashing of styles there so another um, interesting detail uh, is also that it only came out on PC, only on Steam, I believe, uh, because, um, yeah, not on consoles, because the game features nudity. Yeah, when you get to that part, it's all fairly tame, actually. It's sort of medieval-style paintings uh, that have a bit of nudity on them. Right, Devil May Cry 5. Um, I am going to start us off on this one. So, bit of context for my background on Devil May Cry. I am a very on and off fan of the series. I think the first one is incredibly important, but uh, has since been surpassed. I think the second one is a waste of everyone's time. Uh, the third one, I think, is easily my favorite in the series. The fourth one is half a great game and half a, the same game again, but boring. And uh, I, I'm one of the people who really, really likes D- uh, Ninja Fury's DMC. Um, so when, when Devil May Cry 5 was announced, I had very conflicting feelings on this because, first of all, I felt like they were kind of you know bowing to a very toxic segment of the look and there are things worthy of criticism of dm uh, you know the dmc does right but i i the, the vitriol and violent reaction violence may be too strong a word but very aggressive reaction from the devil may cry community in response to that game i felt was completely unjustified and i felt like by announcing Devil May Cry 5 and basically ignoring that DMC even happened, they were kind of just saying, yeah, it worked, your aggressive campaign worked, and you're getting what you want, which was disappointing. But also, it, it this game felt like a continuation of one of my favorite games of all time. And while I don't think it does enough different or new um, to really surpass Devil May Cry 3 for me, I do think this is probably 
the peak um, in terms of mechanical depth that this series has ever achieved. I think Nero just controls beautifully. Dante, now that you're kind of, he has the whole switching styles thing that he uh, they introduced in DMC4, but now it's in a campaign that I think is more compelling overall. Um, and he's just a joy to control. Um, and then V as well is just a really different take on a uh, a character in this style of game, being able to control the, your familiars, that basically issuing them commands and, and and them doing all the dirty work for you. There's there are three great um, character action um, modes of play in this game, but it's very safe it's it feels and i and i don't necessarily mean this as a criticism um it feels like a game of the ps2 era but with um the textures and resolution of a modern console game polygon count maybe as well (laughs) (laughs) well yeah yeah um it it looks it looks stunning it's obviously using the re engine so it uh, the character models are incredible so it's it's weird to have the these like re- the high fidelity character models and then playing it is like wow is is it 2005 and i don't and, and that if that sounds like a negative i i loved that part of the game but if you're coming here expecting um something to push the genre forward um i think Astral Chain is probably a better bet. Um, that is doing some new creative things with this genre. This feels like let, let's just take the formula and execute it to as high a standard as humanly possible. Um, I think the plot for this game is just fan service central. Um, it's just like a wink and a, and a nod um, with every plot beat. I think it's really, really solid. Um, and not it doesn't as i said doesn't do enough to you know surpass um my my favorite game in this series but it's a pretty excellent title maybe this is was exactly what the series needed because it has been so wildly uneven as far as the uh, japan developed devil may cries go all of them have had very troubled development uh and bits and pieces cut out of them even the first one first one is almost uh yeah not 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 completely finished maybe this sort of safe but substantial uh, uh, approach is just what the series needed at this point it's an interesting game to play in <laughs> what is a post bayonetta world because i'm one of the weird ones who's my favorite Maybe it's not weird. I don't know. My favorite in the series was four. And I know that four is half a game. But given as I play through these games, you know, like a half a dozen times anyway, the repeating didn't bother me that much. And and really, I was in it for the combat system. And up until five, four had just the deepest combat system you can possibly imagine. And it was great. And and then Bayonetta came out and had all the same like depth and complexity in combat system and what it didn't have was these like bizarre platforming challenges that feel really wonky and like hidden secrets that you don't really feel like should be in the game and all of the stuff and it and it evolved the formula and devil may cry 5 is back and it has the deepest combat system of basically any game i've ever played and it looks beautiful 
And it has this wonky platforming stuff, and it has weird cutscenes and and like secrets I don't want to find. And it yeah, it it absolutely feels like a game in you know that you're playing in 2005. And it's weird that it is so just incredibly good at the things that it wants to be good at, but also it cannot shake the things that have kind of always held it back. This is actually my first Devil May Cry game, uh, first Capcom one anyways. I played DMC and I, I really enjoyed that one. But as far as kind of the main continuity goes, I'm still pretty new to this team's work. So um, I was I was really impressed. I played uh, I played a bit of this when it came to Game Pass. I still need to uh, jump back into this one but it's um it's it's a very cool game it feels expensive <laughs> in all the best ways <laughs> great animation so much detail and just explosiveness all around um yeah. i mean my personal favorite like i love watching all the creative ways in which the van comes crashing into the scene whenever you're <laughs> at a phone booth like super yeah. funny very very good I think that like it's a very confident game to the extent where like like you mentioned already in a character action game one of the main characters doesn't really even do any of the fighting himself like that's extremely confident. <laughs> yeah, I just love all the small touches, uh revving up the hilt of a sword like a motorcycle handle, like it's all all terrific. Small complaint that I would have is that uh though I know that the game is like super generous with it, I still don't like games that have a limited life system in 2019. It just feels weirdly antiquated, but it's not really a problem here. I think I kind of disagree with that for limited life systems, but I haven't played too far into the game yet. I'm still only on uh, Nero, but I liked all I like also what they they've done with the character in that, you know, before he had his uh, stretchy arm uh, in the in Devil May Cry 4, but now you have all these different kinds of arms, and you immediately feel like okay, there you need to put a lot more effort into learning this character now, and uh, and all the variations and things you can do with the uh, with the various arms. I also f- found Nero where where I so- sort of saw him as a weak copy of uh, Dante in Devil May Cry 4. I found a, he's a bit of a cocky git, but he's a likable cocky git. You know, I found him. Uh, kind of appealing as a character and the facial animations in this game uh, game are pretty terrific as well our next game is east shade ryan why did you select this game this is one that i've kind of had on my radar for a number of years actually it got a steam not an early access but how they kind of put up a page before the game is it even anywhere close to having a release date and it's the classic steam trap that i'm sure we've all fallen into of a game whose screenshots look too good to be true, but eh, you might as well keep your eye on it anyways. And so I always kind of wrote it off as like, this game looks beautiful in the screenshots. It looks like exactly the kind of thing that I would be into. But when it actually comes out, it's these are going to be very manufactured screenshots that aren't going to actually represent the gameplay. But even so, I thought it was uh, worth keeping my eye on um, because I really love the premise. You know, you are in a you're in a foreign land. This is very kind of high fantasy setting where you're playing basically a traveling artist, a traveling painter, and uh, painting the landscape is uh, one of the kind of core conceits of the gameplay. And all of that just like kind of rounded out to something that I was really interested in. And so when it did come out, I decided like, you know what, let's go ahead and take a punt on it and just see what happens. I was I was a bit wrong in my assessment beforehand. Like I think that it does have a lot of meat there and it does look as good in the final version as the screenshots promise. There's some beautiful stuff in there and some really exquisitely designed 
visually, uh, especially um, areas, you know, very important because you're a painter, uh, a lot of really creative vegetation and uh, a lot of really scenic landscapes, um, stuff that would, you know, kind of be again, um, would again come up in uh, the Outer Worlds when that came out later this year. But it, it is a game that feels kind of straight out of the late 90s, but looking beautiful by modern standards. All of the characters are like these weird animal people hybrids and the dedicated um, dedication to the art direction of uh, fantasy sci-fi book covers, I would say, is kind of odd in today's market, but I find it really admirable. You know, they, they picked a style. They went all the way with it. It kind of reminds me of like a time gone by in a way like this is what Mist would have been if Pokemon Snap had been super popular at the time that that came out, you know? Yeah, I wanted to I just wanted to ask you, is it fair to say that it seems very Mist inspired? Yeah, I would say in its in its visual design, but it's not quite as puzzly. But yeah, a lot of it is um, you're interacting with characters, which is something that you don't really do a lot of in Mist, but going out into these landscapes and painting various things. Uh, there are more traditional quests to kind of solve along the way. It, it plays a little bit, you know, Elder Scrolls Oblivion in that way. But, um, you know, most of it is your, your painting. And sometimes you have to paint specific things from specific locations, sunsets or eclipses or forests, flowers, um, strange occurrences, things like that. Uh, and uh, one of the things that's kind of interesting, and I don't know whether I like it or not, uh, I still need to play more of the game and to give a full opinion on it. This is just a very brief overview. Uh, but you have to actually craft all of your canvases in a way that's that's kind of cool. It kind of gives you that feeling of, you know, stretching your own canvas and going out into the wild and, you know, making all of these materials that makes it feel uh, more more precious in a way in the way that uh, using film cameras feels more precious than digital cameras because there's an inherently limited number of shots you could possibly take but um also you know if if you're just there to play photo mode in a way it's like glorified photo mode then it is a little discouraging to uh to run out of canvases when you see something beautiful i mean you can always still um steam screenshot it but when the entire game is built around it to not have that be a part of your in-game collection as well is uh can be a bit annoying from time to time but overall i think it's uh i think it's pretty cool it's it's very beautiful it feels like the type of game that is pushing way beyond the weight of their budget kind of like dear esther like i i mean just to go back to dear esther like how does that game still look so incredible i have i have no idea but there's some really breathtaking stuff in here it's um i'm not far enough into it to know whether the gameplay systems really do anything incredibly interesting but i think as just kind of a a walk around with a few extra things to do it's uh definitely scratching an itch for me when i have just kind of like a day that i just need to mellow out a little bit right so ryan again uh another pick of yours felix the reaper yeah uh this is one that was a day and date ID at Xbox release onto Game Pass. And so I was um I was interested in this because it has a very distinctive and super confident art style. To describe the type of game that it is, you play basically a Grim Reaper who is infatuated with this kind of goddess of life, though his primary passion is dancing, and he dances all throughout the game 
he decides to enroll in the typical kind of grim reaper type of work anyways, because that's probably his best chance of getting close to this goddess of life um, because they kind of roll in similar fields. But you enter these, uh, I would say, kind of like a very isolated scenes. It's always um, it's always kind of representational more than literal. Uh, you are um, kind of throughout various points in history. You enter these these scenes that play out around a person's death. Primarily, there is some sort of a idea that either the wrong person is dying or something is going wrong in these scenes, and you have to basically right these wrongs and make sure that the proper person actually dies. And so that oftentimes is like a multi-steps uh, pushing carts and moving barrels and hitting switches and stuff like that. But it, it all controls a uh, like a Fire Emblem type game. It's, it's all grid-based, um, but at the same time, uh, there's no... Well, when you enter the scene, the entire scene is frozen in time. And so there are some things you can do to get certain objects to move around. But for the most part, it's kind of this, this still scene that you're trying to influence and trying to kind of put all the, all the cards in place so that when, when time resumes, then everything will play out as it's supposed to. But it's, uh, it's, it's, very, it's very difficult. There's a limiting factor in that your character can't be in the sun, always has to be in the shade of one of the objects in the environment. And you can rotate the sun 90 degrees. And so essentially there's two like layouts of light that the, um, uh, that it can be in at any point. And so, you know, you have to kind of move objects so that they cast shadows so that it causes, so that you can like build pathways for yourself to move around the level and, uh, set up all of these, um, all these kind of toppling dominoes in a way. It's interesting. It's very difficult, I found. I, I, I guess it shouldn't be because it's all very puzzly and all very prescriptive and all very, uh, you know, there's solutions to every problem, obviously. But for some reason, like, I just have a really hard time envisioning, like, what areas are going to be in the sun versus in the shade when I rotate the sun around. Like, it's all very basic stuff, but it's uh, it's not clicking with me quite as much but um i will say that the the game and the animations especially are really lovely the character designs are very distinct if a bit grotesque in a creative fun kind of nickelodeon kind of way the the music is 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 nice uh the character is always dancing around and the dances are so lovingly choreographed and really well animated um performance captured yeah it's it just it feels a bit daunting when I'm in it. I'm uh, I'm not sure I'm really going to continue with it, but it is a very unique puzzle game. And if a very strict order of operations puzzler is something that you're into, I think there's very little that I've seen that's like it. And for that reason, I'd say it's worth experiencing, but uh, it's probably not going to be one that I see all the way to the end. If you would like to hear more uh, from Kong Orange, the developers of Felix the Reaper, check out episode 245 of The Sausage Factory. Right. Fire Emblem Free Houses. Um, I think Mikiel should start us off with this one. I am a bit of a Fire Emblem nut ever since I started playing uh, Path of Radiance on the GameCube. 
way back when. I, the, the 3DS game sort of burnt me out on the, on the series. And I was cautiously interested in Three Houses. Uh, but yeah, uh, I mean, I'm saying cautiously, but I bought it. I picked it up on launch day pretty much. Uh, and I dove straight into it and I was really in the clouds with this game. I thought like, ah, Fire Emblem is back for me. And I, I, I love the setup actually. I, I was, I didn't know I was going to love it, but I love the setup of the uh, the calendar uh, and and that you in this game you're basically a professor and you teach your students in the in the art of war. Um, so you basically raise them kind of as you see fit uh, as units for later later on the battlefield. And the cool thing about this this whole thing, the social element, the the teaching, uh, all the stuff around the academy that you do, is that every little thing, uh, as meaningless as it might seem, has some sort of effect on your on your group of students. Um, basically, what's going to be your your army, your army of units. You know, even uh, just as far as them being more open to learn more things and grow faster, or to uh, yeah, to sharpen or develop their specific skills into to varied uh, varied units uh, for this uh, tactical role playing game. So I was all in it, and I was also getting. I was quite surprised with the the, the Black Eagle house that I chose. I was quite surprised with how much yeah how much I started caring for the characters in there. They seem fairly stereotypical in the in, in the beginning, but then afterwards. These anime characters, yeah, do have a lot more personality and quirks and background than you, than you might initially give them credit for. Only scratch the surface of this game. I'm about 40 hours in, but there has been a turning point. It's not exactly not only the game's fault. It's also because I had other stuff to play uh, more urgently. But uh, partially, there's a turning point in the story uh, which didn't sit well with me because I felt like the development of the characters didn't make much sense anymore. Uh, and this could very well be based on my choices because this game is massive. You've got three different main story paths to choose from, but uh, even within those uh, three main paths, there are different branches and uh, story branches. So the choices I've made during my playthrough kind of soured me a little bit on what was happening. Some some character behavior and developments didn't make much sense anymore. What I didn't expect uh, to happen is that you. At least for for the time being that I'm playing, maybe it will come back in some other form. But all of a sudden, the, that whole element of the the calendar and raising your units is uh, sort of gone for, from the game. And I didn't know that I was going to miss it as much. So I've sort of uh, I, I'm I, I'm not as compelled or uh, to play it anymore as I was before, where I just couldn't wait. You know, like I was I was properly addicted to this game for uh, for a long time. So maybe it's just the the time, and maybe I'll go get right back into it. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's my story with the game so far. I, I still need to spend some more time with this one, but from what I've experienced so far, there's been kind of a bit of a good and a bit of bad to everything. Um, every aspect of the game keeps kind of coming back to that. Um, I think that uh, kind of first and foremost, the main character designs, uh, both the male and female versions, are uh, are pretty decent. Um, but it's super weird that the player character is so silent and wooden throughout the game. Really, like, just dead-eyed stares, and, like, it feels like there's something wrong with the character. And especially when 
you can hear him or her vocalize during battles. It's really, really odd that he or she is so silent during the parts of the game where there should be conversation happening. Um, I'm not really sure why they decided to go for a like such a wooden puppet of a character, but maybe that comes out a little bit later on in the game. I'm not sure. Uh, you can no longer even uh, customize the character, which would usually be the excuse for having really non-expressive characters. It's like, well, it could look like anybody. It could look like anything in these cutscenes, and that's not really the case here. So uh, I'm I'm not sure about that. I think it's an archetypical thing where you're supposed the the character is supposed to be your vessel. You're inhabiting it. You know the the silent, the, of course, the old silent protagonist trope. But the character does have a voice. It's just that mm-hmm. uh, he or she is not voice acted because you have all these dialogue choices to choose from, which uh, yeah puts their 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 thoughts into uh, into words. Yeah, but even in the scenes where it's, it's just like the fact that like he or she doesn't hardly ever blink. Like there's something very kind of odd and serial killery to that character. <laughs> that I just can't really get away from. Right. But it's such a small minor complaint that you know I'm not going to get too hung up on it. But like everybody else. Uh, is very expressive. You do a, they do a great job of animating everybody differently and giving everybody uh, unique and interesting personalities. Kind of a handful of of duds, I would say, among the character lineup. But um, that's probably just because I haven't spent much time getting to know them. It's pretty surprising how layered uh, almost all of them are, and how more of that you start peeling back throughout throughout the game. Mm. I think I think it depends on which house you've chosen though. Yeah. I I think the Black Eagle cuz we both picked the Black Eagles. Yep. I don't know who you picked Black Eagle Ryan. as well, yeah. Oh, Black Eagle. Okay, never mind. All Black um, Eagles. Here. I was going <laughs> to Yeah, I I I was going to say that I think the the Golden Deer and the uh Blue Lions, the the cast of characters within those houses is a bit weaker mm. compared to the yeah. Black Eagles. I think that that's a much stronger cast. Um I also think that the Edelgard's story um, is easily uh, at least d- d- one specific path. Um, I don't know what path you uh, chose, Mikhail, but the the path that um, I consider to be the canonical path um, is is my favourite from what I've seen. Um, I have started to go through the game again um, with the uh, Golden Deer um, just to get a sense of um, how different it is. My understanding is that the first half of the game um, for all the houses is pretty similar apart from like some cutscene story beat stuff and then it's the second half of the game that really uh, changes up um, um, yeah I, and I'm I will be diving into um, all three stories at some point because it's a switch game it makes it perfect for um, commuting and, and plane travel and that sort of thing so I'm kind of dipping in and out when I when I get a chance, um, I think it could be, like you were talking about the calendar, McKeel, and I'm surprised you didn't immediately say Persona um, because this I game don't play is Persona, a Persona. So that's why game. I haven't said it. <laughs> right. Um, uh, a lot of that that stuff reminds me so much of Persona. Um, not just the the calendar stuff, but Ryan, the the blank character mm. protagonist. 
Fantasy thing that you were talking about. That's also very Persona. I don't know if I can justify it. Um, it uh, I, it's it, it's a choice. Um, but um, uh, yeah, it, it, it's very clear to me that they've uh, taken some influence from that JRPG series. Um, and I think it's to the game's benefit. I think having that stuff in between the main battles is is actually really engaging and really fun. And and the the reason why that stuff works so well in Persona is because it creates that bond of um, companionship with all your your fellow teammates, and that's and for a game where teamwork and coordination is so key, that that's that's only additive for me. Like it, it's 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 a really strong addition to the series. Um, I think the game on normal mode, and I'm not the you know there's been uh, I think Patrick Klepik wrote an article for uh, Waypoint or Vice Games. Um, I forget what that's called now. Um, he wrote a, 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 an article about the difficulty for um, uh, um, free houses. Uh, um, basically saying that the normal difficulty is far too easy Definitely. and i i'm inclined to agree um i think uh bumping up the game to hard mode um for my second playthrough was a good choice i think it strikes a a much better balance between uh desperation and um tactical thinking than the normal mode does where it just feels like i'm annihilating armies left right and center uh, yeah, uh, it doesn't quite so... I know Mikhail disagrees with me strongly on this. I still think Awakening is my favourite in the series, um, just because I think the art direction in Awakening is really, really strong. I prefer the kind of pixel arty approach to the battle maps and all of that stuff to the kind of slightly... Um, iffy looking um, mm-hmm. 3D stuff that they've done with this, but this is probably my favorite in the series since awakening. Um, and I think, uh, the choice to have free factions kind of dueling it out game of Thrones style just is what is just way more fascinating than just having like a bad guy, good guy dynamic. Is it more fascinating than the end of game of Thrones? Uh, yeah, (laughs) infinitely. (laughs) Right. Um, next is Gatto Roboto. Uh, I am the only one who's played this game, so I will just press on. Um, uh, I uh, I find this game utterly charming, much like uh, a short hike is like a tiny version of Breath of the Wild. I think this game is a tiny version of Super Metroid. It does absolutely nothing new. Like it is, uh, it is a Metroid game in so many ways. However, it is executed to such a high standard i find the black and white art style so um charming um your cat character all the noises they make and and animations and all of that is just super cute and endearing and this is one of those ones where I don't really mind that I've seen it all before because it's just being delivered in such a nice package that um, uh, I enjoyed every second of it. And it's really short. It's like three hours. If, you know, even that's like three hours if you collect everything. Like uh, you could zoom through this game if you really wanted to. Um, and I don't think there is a wasted moment. It's really lean. 
um all the collectibles are meaningful all the um you know the typical metroid abilities are fun there's some cool stuff with underwater submarines which i think is creative where you actually have to get out of your battle suit and enter into a submarine and there's that moment of fragility and fear as you're kind of like transferring between the two and enemies uh enemies are about um yeah i just just yeah i really recommend it it's it's really really cheap as well um i think you can get like there was one sale where it was going for like five quid recently or i whatever the equivalent is it's probably just the same on the e-shop store but so five dollars if you're in the u.s um yeah i i cannot recommend this enough just uh charming from start to finish the game's original title was catroid actually pre-launch catroid probably a potential law lawsuit prevented that from happening yeah mckeel why don't you introduce us to our next title the next title is about a female uh bounty hunter in a in a power suit uh that goes through the insides of of a planet to find find stuff and explore caverns and uh, all sorts of fiendish environments and it's also not called metroid it's called grelux this game was brought to my attention by our very own Leon Cox because he posted a screenshot in our Slack channel and it had sharks with legs on it. <laughs> yeah, if you know anything about me, um, I think that all zom- uh, stock zombie enemies in games should be um, replaced by sharks with legs, basically. So I was already immediately on board with uh, with this game. It sounds like a Metroid clone to set up for, uh, for it, but it's actually a lot more like the uh, Sega Master System game uh, Zillion. So there are branching paths, uh, but you basically move from room to room. Uh, you deactivate uh, three terminals, uh, terminals ter- sorry, three terminals, <laughs> and then uh, open the doors to, uh, to the next rooms. And sometimes there are split paths and sometimes there are areas to find with, uh, with upgrades. Uh, wicked little pixel graphics, cool soundtrack, the game, the game is completely free to download from developers uh, Sun Team's webs- uh, uh, website. That's sunteam.co.uk, uh, and you can donate something, which I would recommend. Been playing a little bit of it. It's fairly challenging, especially if you set it to uh, the third difficulty setting, which is normal. So it's pretty challenging to get through so far, but uh, very charming and uh, yeah, something something fun to to try out. I'd say. Right, John. Why don't you introduce us to our next title? Yes, so um, the next game on the list is Hypnospace Outlaw. And I am, for one, I think I'm somewhat shocked that none of the rest of you have played this. This is exactly the sort of thing. It's right up my alley. If you want something that's going to tickle that little nostalgia part of the back of your brain, this is what did it for me. Um, Hypnospace Outlaw is essentially... Uh, a simulation of sort of late 90s, early 2000s, just really crap internet websites. Kind of everything that goes along with that. It, it's basically a virtual desktop where, or it's not really a desktop, it's it's kind of an operating system where the conceit is that along with the sort of early internet that we saw in, you know, the universe that we live in, uh, somebody had also created, I suppose it's kind of like a VR headset that I I think the idea is it creates web pages from your kind of dreaming memories 
or it's something that you can do while you sleep. Uh, it's somewhat unclear to me exactly where that comes in. But what it what it really amounts to is there's a, a sort of a new internet portal and they're, the people who've created it are enlisting, uh, I guess, like moderators to come in and, you know, sort of clean up all of the, the illegal content on there. So you sign up for this and it gives you, like I said before, sort of a virtual kind of operating system desktop with this hypnospace program built into it and you're tasked by the i guess the owners the moderators to to go in there and find infractions and they'll say right you know we've we've had reports that somebody's using um copyrighted pictures on their what essentially are kind of geo cities pages and old old style message boards go in there track it down and you know sort of slap a hammer on it and uh, and get them banned and that's, I mean, that's kind of the whole thing. It's, it kind of, it sort of goes along on a, a calendar system. You get like a few different, uh, dates and times where things have, have then progressed from the last one. So lo and behold, the people who did the stupid copyright thing have come back later on with a almost sort of a hashtag of like defending their, their stupid copyrighted material. Um, it really just spoke to me so much of, those early late 90s kind of days of the internet when everything was very kind of <laughs> I, I don't really want to say sort of innocent and pure but compared to how the internet is now it was just people kind of diarrheaing out their thoughts onto very poorly formatted websites and that's I mean if you want to see that and you want to see a a desktop that has a music player that you can change the skin and it turns into a big head like they used to have on the old Windows Media Player skins list, then please go and check this game out. I honestly think it's one of my sleeper hits uh, of the entire year. I watched Sean Bell play this one, and mm-hmm. I mean, that is entirely accurate. Like, there's uh, there's something I miss so much about the old internet and just the way that it looks and for being... The internet essentially being like the collected and the collected history of everything that's ever been kind of created and written by mankind. It's odd that parts of the internet are just kind of gone and inaccessible now. And so there are entire like thing, entire genres of websites and web rings and angel fire and stuff that like we know growing up, but like future generations there's just no way to like reference back to that. And it's so maybe it's like little games like this that help kind of preserve that history in a way. This is almost a a sort of a glorified outlook of this, but it almost in a a sort of a stereotypical way, you know, you go onto this thing and there's clearly only, you know, a handful of different users and there's, you know, a few kids who are setting up essentially GeoCities pages to, you know, to talk crap about each other and, you know, review these really bad, like, 2000-era sort of emo-y bands. And, you know, they do rubbishy little review sections and there's someone selling spiritual guidance and someone talking about how much they got into motorcycles. And it, it's a... Again, I hesitate to use the word innocence, but it's it's a pre incredibly cynical pre-corporate driven pre just a place for everybody to hate each other style 
look back at how the internet realistically was 20 years ago. And we've definitely lost that now. That does not exist anymore. And I think that's, you know, quite sad that that's gone. But you can still play Hypnospace Outlaw and, and get the, the memories if you had them back then. Not to be confused with this year's Rebel Galaxy Outlaw, which has a uh, strangely similar name. That's not the first time that's happened this year. <laughs> <laughs> so the next title is Jump Force. Um, Ryan, you're the only one who's played this, but I need to I need to ask you an important <laughs> question about this game. Did you play this with the English dub or the Japanese dub? <laughs> I actually wasn't even aware there was an English dub. Uh, I just yeah played it with uh, with subtitles. Right. Okay, okay, right. This is good. So there's a character called Dio. Uh, that's one of the villain characters mm -hmm. in this. Have you have you encountered him? Played as uh, him? Honestly, I've not spent that much time with the game, and that'll that'll become apparent when oh, I start getting okay. the review. <laughs> uh, I'll just say that the, one of the few reasons why I was in any way interested in this um, at one point was the inclusion of uh, JoJo Bizarre Adventure um, characters in this, uh, one of which is the villain of that series, uh, Dio Brando, who has the best Japanese voice actor <laughs> ever in the history of anime, and everything he says is so deliciously evil that I could listen to him. Um, I was about to say read the dictionary, the, the Japanese equivalent of the dictionary. It's just so good. And, like, yeah, if if... If he's in this, if he is in this game, I might have to just borrow it just to, just to play with him. But anyway, enough of my Dio obsession. Ryan, what were your thoughts on the actual game itself? Yeah, to just kind of contextualize, I'm not really like a big anime person. Like, I, I tend to enjoy yeah. the animes that I watch, but I don't really go out of my way to seek a lot of them out. You know, I've seen kind of the basics, you know, Akira, Death Note, that kind of thing. But yeah. um, I, I don't tend to like the Dragon Ball series. Uh, One Piece seems fun. Never watched it, but the characters seem really jubilant. That all kind of factors in because this is a huge mashup between multiple anime manga characters within this kind of jump universe. It's it's an interesting uh, implementation of it as opposed to uh, the uh, Dragon Ball Fighters, which came out last year, two years ago, somewhere around there. Um, being very true to the anime style of Dragon Ball and um, that whole universe making it look like it's kind of straight out of the anime. Uh, this one renders everything in a more, I don't want to say realistic shading, but everything is 3D and textured. And, you know, it, it's very different than watching an anime. Um, I think the aesthetic looks quite nice, actually. And I'm um, really impressed by... Also, the amount of modding that people have done with the PC version of the game. Uh, there's tons of videos online of people introducing new characters like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo, which is just fantastic. And I, I love when there's cool modding scenes around games that uh, deliver content that seems to be kind of at the level of what the game's base content holds. Um, very impressive. Um, anyways, I played this one when it came to Game Pass on Xbox One X. Oh boy, it's really bad. Uh, <laughs> I I I don't know if I want to say that about the gameplay because of what I've played of the gameplay itself. 
that seems fine. I tend to actually really like these kind of like 3D over the shoulder fighter games. Like um, the, I, I really enjoy the Naruto fighting games, which kind of kicked up on the uh, tail end of the PS3 generation. I, I think it's really fun to just kind of like be circling around your opponent in 3D space and jumping and dashing and co- uh, kind of auto combos and escaping from combos and that kind of thing. But kind of like uh, like virtual on and even arms by uh, yeah yeah by right. Nintendo has a similar sort of dynamic. Yeah yeah absolutely. Um, but oh boy, ugh, it really plays horribly on Xbox One X. It crawls at like to say sub 30 is being extremely generous. Uh, frequent, frequent dips into what feel like the single digits. Like it looks, it it looks horrendous at this really low frame rate, which is too bad because the art direction is entirely on point. It's not helped by the fact that I think somebody messed up the HDR, which like everything, including the menus looks extremely washed out, which might be a choice or it might just be poor HDR implementation, but I mean, with the with the frame rate the way it is, it's just not um, not really a desirable engagement. So maybe the PS4 Pro version is better because that's a more Japanese console. They probably spent more time kind of implementing the game as it was meant to be on that platform. I'm sure the PC version is fine because I know that that one runs at 60. I don't know if it's constant 60, but that's at least you know it doesn't max out at 30. Um, but boy, it it really kind of like. It, 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 yeah, it just didn't really rub me the right way. It just reeks of kind of a lack of polish. Um, there's a lot of instances of text being layered against surfaces that are too bright to read the text against. Yeah, things like that just shouldn't really be an issue in modern games, but they still crop up from time to time. Um, but overall, I mean, there's, there is a huge cast of characters. The, the fighting is fun. It's just, really awful implementation on console so probably fine on pc but um you know if you want to give it a try on game pass just because there's no additional cost if you're already a subscriber then go for it but i wouldn't go out and purchase it on a console katana zero so this is a uh stylish um action um game and i i think it's fair to say it shares some dna with hotline miami of course hotline miami is top down while this is a side scroller but in terms of the level of lethality of both yourself and the enemies it shares um that kind of severe um severe nature with the hotline miami series and also a lot of uh the kind of neon drenched um aesthetics it kind of going for that kind of 80s vibe um uh, this is one of my favorites of the year um i think uh the uh the combat is is really really strong um just having that kind of there's a mechanic where you can basically slow down time to anticipate um projectiles or just kind of uh, basically to give yourself some breathe a breathing room to think a little bit more tactically about what you're going to do next and um yeah just like deflecting bullets and um you know rolling past um enemy turrets and just mapping out that perfect run where you just execute everything with perfect precision is is a lot of fun 
I think the story just kind of like starts out really interesting and then just kind of disappears. And then there's like sequel bait at the very end, which feels really off for the kind of game it is. I just tell me a complete story, just end. But apart from that, I think just, just purely as a gameplay experience, um, it's, the pacing as well is just really, really uh, eclipsed by, um, and they they do a good job of kind of changing up the uh, mechanical focus from level to level. There'll be some, um, you know, one level that focuses on this like minecart and kind of managing the speed of that thing while also taking a break to. Um, remove some barriers out of its way and there'll be one where you you know take control I won't spoil who it is but take control of another character with a slightly different um, style of abilities yeah it's just it's really it's really well paced really you know good use of the central mechanic and um, and really stylish stylish really sums it up like this is a game that both looks incredible from a pixel art animation perspective like as a as side scroller beat em ups go uh like it's it's really really has a, a very nice aesthetic it has some really nice animation and uh it's all very readable while still kind of maintaining the speed and chaos of a lot of these levels um yeah and i i really love the pacing of it as well like there's um it kind of dips you back to uh, some interesting interstitials between the levels, between these kind of high action, high octane, high high octane levels, as you are sometimes kicking back and talking to your therapist for a little bit, or chatting with the um the young kind of neighbor girl next door. You know, it's it's interesting how um how it mixes it up, and I I really um I really like that. Uh, I think that um one of the most interesting parts of it. <laughs> ironically uh is the action dialogue system <laughs> like they do this um they do not only the timer on dialogue where you have to answer within a certain amount of time otherwise your character will just kind of give the blank you know no response but if you answer too quickly then you default to giving a rude response which has some uh some interesting dialogue and gameplay ramifications um, but it's meant to just kind of like punish those who are just thumbing through the dialogue too quickly. And I find it to be uh, quite funny and um, to actually play into the game in some interesting ways. So that's uh, kind of an unexpected uh, extra little mechanical treat in this game, which is otherwise a really, really solid uh, action game. It's published by Devolver Digital, and it's about the most Devolver Digital title that you can imagine. So, um, yeah, Katana Zero. Ryan, why don't you introduce us to our next game? Yeah, so this is a uh, free game, actually, that was um, getting some talk on Twitter for probably a weekend or two. Um, but it's it's a really nice experience called Kind Words. Um, it's kind of like lo-fi hip-hop beats to study to the game in a way uh it's just this a small little room that your character is sitting in uh sitting at his desk and just writing letters in a way you can receive letters that other players other real players have written um usually things that they're worried about or things that are you know anxieties that they have and you can respond 
And if people like your responses, then they'll send stickers, which turn into objects that decorate your room. Um, there's no goal, really, just kind of human connection. Uh, this is the type of game that seems like it would be incredibly easy to to flood with a, a lot of like really nasty and upsetting responses to people who are already kind of like being very vulnerable and putting themselves out there. But I haven't really had that experience so far, and I haven't really seen anyone else talking about having that experience, at least around the launch window. It just seems like people are being really genuinely kind to each other, which is kind of a nice little pocket of, uh, of civility on the internet. Yeah, I didn't really experience anyone being crappy about it. I, I found it to be a bit emotionally taxing, though. You know, seeing so many other people's worries and insecurities back to back, you know, I felt a lot of pressure to answer in a way that was supportive without being patronizing or giving bad advice or anything like that. It, it feels like there's a lot of responsibility on you. Um, there's a certain paralysis of feeling inadequate to speak to somebody else's pain when you haven't directly gone through the same thing. But I mean, ultimately, I think what people want is just somebody to to listen and validate most of the time anyways. So um, I didn't end up responding to too many notes just because of that kind of maybe weird emotional pressures I put on myself. But even so, it's so kind of interesting and singularly unique, and it's either free or very, very, very cheap. So um, worth um, worth experiencing. It's uh, It's got some really nice music as well. But uh, yeah, what a what an odd little title i haven't played this personally but i have seen a couple of different streams of other people playing it for probably a combined total of about an hour and it yeah as as ryan's saying it just comes across as being almost like a nice little support network that if you're going to type type out you know you're worried about your job interview tomorrow nobody's going to come across with you know actual constructive being able to help you with it but just that little bump from other people saying, I believe in you, go for it, you can do this, uh, it is kind of a positive thing. And unfortunately, the amount of time I did see it, I did end up seeing a few fairly disgusting things that people have put through there and a few other slightly odd things like somebody writing a message and then seeing that message come back through on a on a paper play and not very long afterwards. But assuming it doesn't get it completely flooded by the worst parts of the internet then it's definitely something to have a look at if you know if, if you like that sort of thing so luigi's mansion free um i've only played a little bit of this so i will let ryan deep dive into it in a bit but just um to give it my two cents um if th this is my first luigi's mansion game ever and if i had known that Luigi's Mansion was basically E for Everyone style Resident Evil, I would have dived in a lot <laughs> sooner. In terms of structure, um, level design, it reminds me a lot of classic PS1 era Resident Evil. And I mean that as like the strongest compliment possible. Um, I, I adore those games. And just getting to experience that structure in a less tense and, and, you know, not really scary at all, uh, you know, atmos uh, atmosphere and environment was, it. you know, firstly, it was kind of educational for me because it's like, yeah, actually, this this works, even if the, the objective isn't actually to scare you. Um, it, it still 
you know mechanically engaging this this structure this this puzzle design um it still works um and then like the 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 combat um yeah it's it's ghostbusters and um i i haven't seen uh, a game execute on the the power fantasy of ghostbusters quite like this i realize i'm late to the party but i am now a full convert um to the the world of luigi's mansion and i can't wait to uh, see more i i really really love this game anyone who knows me knows that like haunted houses and especially kind of fun spooky stuff is like my jam anyways and so to see a game come through with a full fun spooky aesthetic coming from nintendo being one of the big switch releases of the year like that's that's something i get really excited about so you know i definitely had this one pre-ordered and and ready to download on on halloween when it came through and i uh i i was really impressed i was a bit worried going into it because i know that this game was uh, developed by the same team who did luigi's mansion dark moon which was known as luigi's mansion 2 over in uh, europe yeah, because that game was a real mixed bag. Yeah, it was. Uh, there were some cool things about it, some nice improvements over the the first Luigi's Mansion game, but it was hampered by some kind of needless repetition and by some really, really, really kind of worst in class boss design. Uh, and so I was a bit worried, and especially since this, this game was going to be very boss heavy, but. Uh, kind of all my fears were put to one side um, in place of Luigi's, unfortunately, had to, to bear that cross for both of us. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's a lovely game. It's um, very, very fun. It's it, it looks brilliant. Like I'd I'd prefer it to be a little bit um, darker, higher contrast with your flashlight, uh, dustier like the original game on the GameCube. Uh, this game comes off being a little bit bright and a little bit clean uh, to really sell the haunted house aesthetic to a to a full extent. But I think it makes up for it in the sheer inventiveness of every floor of this what is now a haunted hotel that you are exploring and, and gathering different elevator buttons to go to the different floors. Um, extremely inventive. The uh, unlike Luigi's Mansion 2, the boss fights are just just for the most part, it's like really, really good, like very fun to fight, very inventive. There's a couple that I thought weren't as strong, and there's one that was a real stinker, but for the most part, very, very good. I've been really impressed by this one. There's so many secrets and different hidden passageways and things to uncover, which just layers so nicely into the haunted house aesthetic that, uh, man, it's just, it's everything that I wanted it to be and was afraid that it wouldn't be, but, um, it, it really is. Cool. Are there uh, creepy twin girls and, uh, and hallways that fill up with blood in it as well? Uh, I haven't seen any hallways filling up with blood, but, um, right. uh, but maybe that's just because the, uh, the boating mechanics aren't that good. <laughs> H- hard pass from the kill then. <laughs> no, not at saying? all. No, I'm a big Luigi's Mansion fan. <laughs> just not, not haven't had a chance to pick it up yet myself. But the animation is so, so good. Like it, it looks like an animated film inventiveness in all the traps that are laid around the mansion and the way that Luigi reacts to everything. And you have a button now that's dedicated to calling out for Mario. Like it's, it's brilliant. (laughs) It's really, really good. 
I always felt that the first Luigi's Mansion already had had this sort of Artman animation uh, sort of uh, style to it with the way Luigi mm-hmm. was animated. Yeah, and they really play it up. Yeah, I'm I'm really really excited to properly dive into it once I've finished um, Astral Chain. What I've seen so far has been really impressive. So our next game is a game that I've only just purchased but haven't touched yet. Um, I picked it up in um, as of recording. We're we're edging closer and closer to Black Friday, um, and you know various sites are doing Black Friday sales. And uh, I've I've uh, I've finally picked this one up, and I'm really excited to dive into Metro Exodus um, because uh, I I really liked what uh, Metro Last Light was trying to be but ryan you're the one who's played this uh tell us your thoughts and feelings Uh, i'm gonna be very brief here because i haven't played a lot of it um but you know i installed this one kind of straight away when game pass for pc launched um because it's a uh, real technical marvel as the past metro games have have consistently been as well and um this one makes full use of ray tracing and all of these like cool things that computers can do now for anyone new to the series. This is a kind of survival first person shooter with a very, a very kind of harsh tone and atmosphere. Uh, you are in a kind of post-war world and all humanity is kind of living in the subways underground. And, you know, there's monsters that are in the subway tunnels and that are kind of patrolling the, um, the overworld in a way and so you are playing a character who goes out into the world into the above ground world to try to kind of gather supplies and and do things to take back underground for for um the the people that live in your little town and when you're above ground you notice a train just kind of you know zipping by and you're just like what the heck i thought everybody was dead out here like there's trains running and so, you know, I, again, I haven't spent that much time with this one yet, but it's, um, you know, getting, um, back out into the above ground world and, uh, getting some sense of, uh, you know, what other, um, societies and, and peoples look like and, and behave like and how they've adapted, um, just kind of exploring different, uh, groups of people and different types of monsters and different encounters just because you are above ground for a lot of the time now um, than uh, than has been possible in previous metro games so yeah definitely looking forward to getting back into it 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 looks brilliant as you, you would expect and so uh, yeah can't can't say too much at this point but it's it seems to be a solid metro game Monster Hunter World Iceborne. Um, this is um, the expansion in the, the classic sense for uh, 2018's Monster Hunter World. I love this so much. Um, I, I was a huge fan of the um, uh, Monster Hunter World um, in its vanilla state, um, but I think Iceborne add so many small additions that kind of add up to a big improvement to the game uh, mechanically. Um, there are now mounts um, that you can uh, basically grapple onto certain animals in the wilderness and then ride around them to get to places quicker, which is a great addition. Um, there's more extensive use of the grappling hook in general. You can latch onto monsters and um, slash them to get more um, 
um, items off of them, which um, uh, depending on what you're after, it's really useful to kind of focus in on either the head or the tail to to maximize your chances of getting that that sweet, sweet carve. And um, I think all the new monsters that they've introduced um, are real winners. Obviously, um, this is uh, not just, you know, straight up new creations. A lot of these are drawn from older entries in the series. But I think Capcom and and the Monster Hunter team kind of based on the success of Monster Hunter World, this being like, you know, easily the biggest title in the series. I think they saw this as a chance to revisit the classics, to re- revisit the fan favorites, and and introduce the new fans to to monsters that people have loved for a long time. So, Bracadios, who is one of my favorites, is introduced in in this, and I think it's such a Bracadios is such a great fight. Um, it's it's one of like the great uh, boss fight, boss battles ever conceived in my mind. Uh, if you like the idea of a boxing uh, triceratops <laughs> um, that uh, smothers you in nitroglycerin, uh, you'll 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 love him um, as I love him. And uh, and I, he that's a particular highlight for me. But like all the monsters are just really really uh, best in class. Even the the variants, which I I always view as kind of a slightly you know um, corner cutting approach to monster design. Let's take this old monster and just remix it slightly. But they're remixed in interesting ways that actually change the the pace of the fight. So um, even those I think are really worthwhile um and then there's hoarfrost reach itself which is the new location um the snow i just i love snow in games i don't love snow in real life because it's cold and wet uh but snow in games is great um it always looks really great um and just being able to explore this beautiful polar region um is uh is just a it's a sight to behold um i i think if you already already sold on monster hunter world and a big fan of monster hunter world i think this is essential um it's 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 really hard um for me to think of any weaknesses with this i i think it's strong from top to bottom um and even if you're going to fight the the monsters that are already in world the mechanical changes are are all welcome Aren't there also um did they didn't they re- recently uh add a lot of crossover content in uh, this expansion as well? Absolutely. I I mean they've they've done um crossover content with uh Monster Hunter World in the past. They did they famously did that Witcher 3 crossover with the vanilla game which is just hilarious. Uh just watching Geralt um um go through his his normal patter but for a Raphalos or a, a, or, you know, mm. um, whatever local wildlife is there. Um, it was really funny. And, and now they're doing stuff with Resident Evil, um, with this, where you can replace your, your handler with Mr. X, who I'm sure is somebody we'll talk about later. Um, but yeah, all that stuff is great. So the next game, um, is the Observation. 
This is from developer No Code, who um, uh, did Stories Untold um, before this. Um, so the observation you take and your character is a artificial intelligence called Sam, who controls the various systems um, on board the space station. But the the real main character, I think, is uh, Emma Fisher, who uh, is this scientist on board the space station, and you kind of with her try to figure out what has happened to the crew um, why you uh, are where you are um, it's really hard to talk about this game because I feel like any story stuff with this is a potential spoiler so I don't want to dive too much um, in, into that stuff but all I'll say is uh, in terms of its approach to storytelling kind of taking control of cameras uh, and taking control of drones to explore this environment is a really creative conceit. Um, I think the writing is really strong. Um, uh, sometimes the animation for the uh, human characters just quite isn't just quite isn't quite there. Um, a lot of the close-ups um, they look like dead zombie people but the voice acting the quality of the voice acting and the writing kind of bolsters that and 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 it's easy and it's just easy to forgive um the story it tells just think um you know 2001 space odyssey interstellar that kind of vibe or even like something like sunshine it's kind of leaning into space um as a horror a place to explore um, horrific themes, um, but also kind of more um, highfalutin themes about humanity and identity and all that, all that jazz. I don't think it's perfect. I think it has a lot of flaws, but it's really fascinating, and um, it's certainly worth the uh, f three or four hours. I might be wrong there. Uh, four hours it takes to get through. Um, I uh, yeah. Worth worthwhile. Definitely pick it up in the sales when it shows up. Ryan, one finger death punch two. Why don't you uh, talk uh, talk to us about this title? Yeah, uh, this is an odd one. Actually, it's a very very good game. Um, it's exquisitely programmed and animated. It's a simple pleasure, easy to play, but difficult to master. But I'm not really sure that it's necessarily better than the original one. It's kind of like an audio surf two scenario where it's like, okay, it's a sequel. Uh, and maybe it's only a sequel insofar as like they needed to update it to get it to run on modern computers just because the old game is so kind of basic even for its time. Uh, and so I'm sure that it brought some modern niceties. Uh, this one goes up to 1440p and probably has a better time playing on kind of modern rigs, but it, it feels and looks pretty similar to the original, which uh, just to kind of diverge and to explain what the game is, it is a stick figure kung fu game, essentially. Uh, you are in the middle of the screen, and there are characters approaching you from both the left and the right. It's a side-scrolling type thing. And the only controls that you ever need to, to use are the two mouse buttons, your uh, right mouse click and your left mouse click. As the characters approach from the different sides, you have to either click left mouse click to attack to the left or right mouse click to attack to the right. And it's it kind of plays out like a rhythm game. There's a certain range of attack. 
and as long as the characters are within that range, then you can attack them. And there are certain characters that where you have to kind of juggle them between the two sides. There are some where you have to hit a very specific sequence of keys and combination. There are some where you can pick up items and throw it for to extend your range. But it's it's super stylish. It's very satisfying. It's it's really fun to play. But it's um, the sequel is absolutely nothing revolutionary. It feels more like a remaster than a proper sequel. But all that said, it's still One Finger Death Punch. And it's still kind of an incredible game for how simple it is. Um, play it. It's, you know, the $8 asking price might be a bit high. But the, the original game, which is fundamentally unchanged, goes for much cheaper than that so either yeah pick that one up or pick up a sequel it's um it's 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 good eight dollars for a remaster essentially yeah um i I mean sorry to be kind of about it but i played a lot of the original one back when it was uh was it xbox live indie games Mm. and it was 80 microsoft points which is 70p or something like that and it was a solid game. I played a lot of it. We even, me and a few of my friends even talked about it and released a podcast about it about five or six years ago. But I can't imagine going back to something now that you say is essentially the same thing and paying 10 times the amount of money for it. Well, if you've never played it before, and I mean, monetary value, monetary value is, uh, is, is, is so subjective anyway. You know, if, it, if it's a game you keep on playing, even though it might be slight, if it's something you spend a lot of time with, then... Yeah, what's eight dollars really? Yeah, John. Well, um, I mean, other than that, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I guess <laughs> this uh, next game is one that I suspect we're going to be camped out on for a, a uh, little while. Um, Jacob, camp. <laughs> yeah, um, Jacob, um, you did a video on I this. Sure did. Um, Outer Wilds. Death, uh, Inevitability, and Ray Bradbury. Uh, again, fantastic. Uh, go check that out. So what what are your thoughts and feelings on this one, Jacob? Oh, boy. What are my thoughts on... So <laughs> I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak with I statements to avoid hyperbole, but not only is Outer Wilds my favorite game of this year, it is one of my favorite games I have ever played. I cannot speak highly enough of this game. And it's really not one that I expected to get that response from coming in. Because the the general gist of Outer Wilds is it's a it's a Groundhog Day or it's a Majora's Mask. You know, it's a time loop game where where you're exploring a small solar system and you have 22 minutes to do so before the sun explodes, and then you start again. But in that loop, the thing that this game does better than pretty much anything I've ever experienced is the feeling of of exploration and of growing knowledge in a incredibly naturalistic-feeling way, where basically everywhere you go... There will be something meaningful, but it probably won't be meaningful for exactly the space that it's found in. And so then the next life, you go somewhere else and you learn a little more. And piece by piece, you start building a picture of this universe. And and it even though all of those pieces have been placed by developers and they obviously wanted you to find them, the the freedom with which you can explore and the number of different like the order that you can find things is do you know 
absolutely open. And so exploring this universe, I just felt so much like I was a genuine adventurer and the things that I were was finding were like my own discoveries and and putting things together and I just it is a just miracle of game development I really <laughs> wouldn't even know where to start building this and basically everything the developers have said have reflected how hard it was to do this but what they came out with is just incredible I I think this is a masterpiece. Um I'm 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 always hesitant to kind of go full on like this is one of, you know, my favorite games of all time when we're still kind of in the afterglow. I I'm a big believer in like, you know, give it give it 6 months, give it a year, revisit, how do you feel now? But I've had a long time to think about this game and I'm with Jacob. Like I think this is one of my favorite games of all time like it's like everything it attempts i think it nails completely um one of my one of my favorite things about it is the 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 way that it conveys both the beauty and the fear of space exploration simultaneously and and having those things not be separate like having having being um engrossed in the beauty of something dangerous of something like there's a supernova that occurs that triggers the uh, the groundhog day thing here and it's the most apocalyptic event you could imagine like a supernova doesn't just wipe out a planet it wipes out a whole solar system it is enormous and gargantuan in its destructive power and yet it is utterly beautiful um both the the visual design of it and the the sound design and the music the music in this game is so good it's so good um and then um it, and if all of that stuff the aesthetic stuff the the exploration the gameplay if all if that's all it was it would still be a favorite of mine this year but just the way it ties everything off um and and does have a point and does have a uh, a thematic core to to what it's trying to explore that it that it nails at the very end I cannot recommend The Outer Wilds enough. Um, I think we will be talking about this game for years to come. It is just an incredibly impressive piece of work. I uh, don't know what to say about Outer Wilds beyond the simple fact that it has given me basically everything that I want out of a video game. There's a sense of incredible satisfaction when you figure out the way that a puzzle is supposed to work or you put some pieces together and I think Ryan can attest to this because at the time I was playing it not that long ago we had a, a sort of a three person uh, little setup on the Slack channel where him and the other guy Thomas had already played it I was kind of bouncing ideas around and there was a point where I was just kind of s- just talking about where I'd got to, like what my progression was. And I suddenly had this epiphany, like mid sentence of I've done this and this and that led to that. And I just sort of trailed off. I was like, I'll be back in a minute. I just need to go and try this. This might be the solution to this. And it was, and I felt so clever for figuring it out. But then the, the absolute flip side of that is you think you're 
such a smart ass and then you do something incredibly stupid like get out of your spaceship without your suit on <laughs> or you fly straight into the sun because you were trying to be too you know do too much of a cool drift around to to land on the backside of a planet the kind of the back and forwards between those I'm a genius. Oh, actually, I'm an idiot. And maybe I'm a, a flawed genius is exactly what I want out of playing a video game. That satisfaction and also like Darwinian levels of stupidity are perfect for me. And I completely agree with what you guys have both previously said. This, If this isn't my game of the year, then I don't know what else is. Yeah, I'm in the exact same boat. Um, I was <laughs> lucky enough to already have the chance to speak about this one on one of the earlier sessions, so I'm not going to say a lot here. It, it has everything that I want in a video game, which is basically like I'm the explorer type who just enjoys inhabiting a space, and that is 100% what this game is. Uh, it makes this enormous universe all feel like home in a way, you know, like you you know every little bit and piece of this universe by the end of it. Uh, which is such a amazing, fantastic thing, which is still kind of inconceivable given the size of, even though it's a small galaxy, like it's still a galaxy, you know, you're still multiple planets that you're jumping in between. Um, very impressive. I guess the only thing that I'm a little sad about is that like, it's not really something that you can replay in the same way that you could replay, you know, a more kind of traditional type of game. This one is all about acquiring knowledge. And then when you have that knowledge, you just have the knowledge. You know, I still would very much enjoy spending time in this world. I I would love for them to add VR just because I just want to like look and see some of the sights. Oh, that would be incredible. And take off the helmet on uh, one particular planet. <laughs> um, hmm. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so into this, uh, you know, from my, from my earliest trips to now feeling like a, like a, doctoral graduate of like this game made me understand the like quantum physics of this universe which is like crazy like speaking at a high level about some of the ideas that the game introduces to you becomes effortless because you have personally experienced them you know it's it's incredible and uh again is just like everyone else here um probably my favorite game of the year so yeah crazy game but uh what a what a trip one of the amazing things about outer wilds is it has like d countless things that could be the thing for any other game you know like yeah. like i i will i will not say most of it but just like there's one planet where uh there are storms on the surface and there are also islands on the surface and sometimes a storm will pick up an island and throw it out of the planet's atmosphere and so for like do you know 30 seconds you will be floating in zero gravity and be able to see like above this planet with a floating island and then it will crash back down onto the thing and that is like that's basically like the solution to one puzzle is you have to do something with that <laughs> and it is so incredibly like there are experiences that are sublime in a lot of video games, but Outer Wilds has such a high density of them that it feels impossible. It's like 
you put every single genius design you had for a video game into this one game. So what I'm getting from your accounts is that it's a rather decent game? Yeah, yeah it's all right. It's It's on my shopping list. I'll, I'll get to it. Yeah. Yeah. When it's like 75% off, yeah. then, yeah. you know. When it's eight, when it's $8, $8 maybe. <laughs> the other staggering thing about this is it launched on Game Pass. So yeah, it's essentially free for a certain, you know, sort of uh, slay of the population, which is just staggering for a game of this quality to be handed out as a freebie, essentially. Naiva, I've mentioned this on another recording or on the other session, but uh, just as a warning for anyone going into it. Um, my preferred style, uh, is to play these, this type of game keyboard and mouse, but there is a planet that you cannot play that way. Uh, you need to at least plug in a controller for a small portion of it. So if that goes into informing your decision, um, it's, it's an unfortunate, what feels like an oversight in an otherwise, you know, very accessible game, but it's kind of unfortunate, but there it is. Next, we have Resident Evil 2. Uh, this is the full remake of the late 90s classic Resident Evil 2, again, uh, from Capcom. Um, they're kind of uh, revisiting um, what they did with um, Resident Evil remake in 2002, where they've revisited a classic game but changed things up remixed some things and um and basically given it a, a whole new p uh, coat of paint but this this is for me is much more drastic a change from the original than the 2002 resident evil remake that game for me um uh resident evil remake it um it basically m makes the original resident evil kind of unnecessary mm -hmm. it, it is so similar in so many ways but it is incredibly pretty and all the additions are additive so i think if if you're playing through the resident evil series it's really hard for me to recommend playing the original now um and and just you know why just go go play the remake whereas with this because it's so different and, and mechanically it's drawing a lot more from, um, Resident Evil 4 and onwards than, um, than the classic style Resident Evils that I think you know, I can still recommend Resident Evil 2, the PS1 original, in its own right. I think um, that game still stands up and is still brilliant um, and worth going back to. But this is also a entirely different interpretation of that same story that is also brilliant and and totally worthwhile. And and I, for me, this game is like comfort food. Um, it's a collection of mechanics. And a structure that I was already in love with before playing it. Resident Evil 4 is pretty much my favorite pure action game ever made. And just having that system again and, and it feeling like Resident Evil 4 again, which is the more important thing. I think as those, um, games uh, moved on resident evil 6 especially it just it doesn't feel like resident evil 4 anymore it feels like gears of war whereas this struck that right level of empowerment and tension that 4 had mm. and then you've got the kind of metroidvania-esque structure of classic ps1 era 
um, um, Resident Evil with the police station, with the keys and locks and puzzles and all of that stuff, which is just a joy. But the the, the wild card, the thing that kind of separates this um, from at least the original Resident Evil 2, um, even though Mr. X is in that game, it is a very set PC uh, version of that character he kind of shows up at certain points Scripted moments, and yeah. then uh, and then disappears whereas this version of mr x is much closer to um resident evil's um Neme- uh, resident evil nemesis um again nemesis um shows up at certain points in the the progression and uh, mr x does the same thing but it's less set pc it feels more systemic he uh, pursues you throughout the mansion at a certain point. I mean, there's a point of no return with the police station where he is just pursuing you until you finish it out. And he's terrifying. And it made me want Capcom to make a Terminator game because it really evokes that feeling of being pursued by this indestructible, emotionless automaton um, really effectively. And I just looks gorgeous as well. Um, I think the RE engine is one of the most impressive engines currently going right now. Um, I think the character models, the animation, the monsters, they're all so grossly beautiful. Yeah, uh, this is a big win. I don't think it's, I don't think it's doing anything new, but it is just a pure exercise in comfort gaming for me it's executed superbly um and i think it's a a great love letter to to that 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 late 90s era of survival horror um and um how that that genre has evolved going into the 2000s yeah i i really love this game um i want to start off by apologizing to resident evil 2 for the numerous times that I stated throughout the first nine months of this year that it would easily be my game of the year and I couldn't imagine that anything else would uh, would overtake it until, unfortunately, I played Outer Wilds. So, sorry, Resident Evil 2, you're going to have to deal with being second place on this mm-hmm. one. I absolutely adore this as well. I'm a huge fan of the old Resident Evil games. I can't say anything too bad about the old uh, tank control systems uh, all of the original ones up until four did something that really uh, really stuck with me and still does uh, same with the old silent hill games and other things that were of that era i was looking forward to this for such a long time I, it's, it's been years since i played resident evil 2 the original despite owning it on at least three different consoles or platforms so I was I was so invested in this way before it had come out with all the preview footage and the demo that appeared a few weeks beforehand. And um, I ended up playing through this, I think, eight times, maybe nine through the, the different campaigns with the A and the B sides for both characters and different difficulties and doing speed runs and no damage runs and all the usual crap that I do with survival horror games. The only things that I can say about this that are more negative than i adore it are there's a few sections in the middle of the game that really bog it down to be perfectly honest i think that all the additional content that they added not very long afterwards despite the fact that it is free um is not very good and certainly doesn't meet the standard of the rest of the game otherwise i completely adore this and i I really hope for a more significant uh portion of dlc which unfortunately now that we're what 10 months down the line probably isn't going to happen 
I've played Leon A up until the part where you first meet Master X and uh, had a few good uh, scares at a, at a friend's house. But I've heard also that, because you've played it back and forth, uh, John, I've also heard that it doesn't stick as, it's, it's not as dedicated to the crossing storylines as the original is, uh, with, you know, the, the parts where, where, uh, Claire and Leon meet and ha- make, doing certain things, having an effect on the other st- storyline later on, like taking certain items and everything. Yeah, that unfortunately is true. Um, the, even, even without the item zapping system from the original, it felt like the two A and B campaigns back then were, literally the side by side that you would expect them to whereas here really the b campaign is kind of more of just a more difficult version of the a campaign you still fight the same bosses and stuff which isn't amazing the difference really is more between the leon and the claire playthroughs here i was really surprised to see mr x show up in in leon's campaign on the first uh, run through as well like oh he's already here can i ask ask a question as someone who loves uh the more actiony Resident Evils, you know, four and five, but found even seven to be a little. I'm not good at those kind of like spatial puzzles with the keys, you know, the kind of like Resident Evil puzzle. Is this game dedicated enough to those kind of puzzles that I wouldn't enjoy it? Because there are parts of this that I really think I'd like, but I'm also worried about looking for keys or having to like get an item from somewhere and not knowing that I had to and and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, potentially <laughs> yeah, with is, the yeah. item systems, it's the same as the original few games where you find an item and it unlocks a bunch of doors or opens up another area and it's it's sort of Metroidvania-y in that way that the original Resident Evil games are. Josh was saying before that it felt more that, uh, like Resident Evil 4 than the games that came after it, right? I'm not sure if I agree on there. I mean, I've played a lot less of it, of course, uh, but I think... Um, the what what I like speci- specifically like about this uh, remake of Resident Evil Two is that in comparison to all those over the shoulder Resident Evils that came uh, from four and after, is that singular enemies feel a lot more threatening in this game. Yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah, definitely something to be avoided again, rather than mow by mow down by the dozens and and uh, you know a su- suplex and roundhouse kick to the uh, to the floor and uh, and go in for the knife and uh, and all that stuff. If I had to make a comparison, I'd say that this is more like uh, the original style games uh, influences from Seven mm-hmm. more than anything in the Four, Five, Six, and all the other spin-offs that came there. I yeah, see, I the thing the thing with Seven is I love a lot of that game, but then when the combat shows up, it's really not that strong, um, especially against the the regular enemies. Whereas with this, and, and the reason why I say four specifically is because I think it's, it, this game strikes that balance of I'm actually really engaged and enjoying this combat and enjoying the, the depth that comes from targeting different areas of the body and, and stuff like that. Where, but, but, and it also strikes that balance between like empowerment and tension really mm. well. I know that the, the enemies in Resident Evil 4 are significantly weaker than the, the base zombies, um, in this, but I don't know. I, I, I enjoyed the combat whenever it cropped right. up, even though like there was a, it, it was in, 
you were encouraged to avoid it. Whereas with seven, um, it felt like a, a necessary chore that I had to, to get through. Right. So when you talk about the similarities with four, it's more, you're talking more about your level of enjoyment, uh, being comparable to that game of the combat. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the control, I mean, the control scheme is the, the same. I mean, it, it is the same control scheme as four. I, I feel that, I feel that comparison is valid. Anyway, <laughs> uh, um why don't you introduce us to our next game? Um, Rolling Gunner. Yeah, for people that uh, are very sad that uh, Cave is no longer putting out uh, arcade shooters, well, rejoice, because developer Mebius, which is made up of um, some ex-Cave uh, yeah, employees, has put out Rolling Gunner in a far more accessible format this year, namely by uh, via release on the Switch. Because it actually came out in 2018, but was only playable if you would email or order a PC uh, DVD-ROM from the developers. It wasn't even uh, available digitally. Very curious uh, distribution method. Uh, but now it's out, and it basically continues the legacy of uh, of cave 2D shooters, uh, bullet hell shooters, uh, with that exact uh, yeah sort of level of refinement and knowledge and experience in this in this genre with uh, super addictive uh, scoring mechanics and yeah wonderful patterns to navigate through it. It's very much. If you're familiar with these games, it's very much, uh, it sets, continues the path of Death Smiles and Akai Katana very much so, uh, in it being a side-scrolling 2D shooter. Uh, but at the same time, enemies can appear from all sides of the screen and you've got the, what the, the namesake of the game, the, the, the rolling gun. You've got this sort of pot hovering around you that you control independently of a ship and you can position in all possible directions to, uh, yeah, defend yourself from various attacks. And it's, it has an, an overdrive mechanic, uh, where, you become super powerful and your shots start canceling out bullets and you start netting the big medals. Then if you activate your over, over, overdrive, I'm not sure what the, <laughs> what the mechanic is before your regular overdrive meter runs out. Uh, you can go even more, uh, more crazy with, uh, with this stuff. Yeah. Just excellent top stuff. Uh, real, real, really recommend it to any uh, fan of, uh, of 2D shoot 'em ups. Right. Um, next we have, uh, the latest. From From Software, Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice. Ryan, why don't you uh, tell us your thoughts on this one? Right, to introduce it, this is a... Um, it, it plays a lot like Dark Souls Bloodborne, the type of game that you come to expect from this team, but it has some pretty radical departures that really define its identity. You're playing as a as a shinobi in this kind of fantasy Japan and um all of it is uh you have a, a jump button this time you have um, a lot more control over movement you have a grappling hook that you can get you up into the uh the, the the roofs of buildings or up into the branches of trees and so everything is a lot more vertical it's a lot more about kind of positioning yourself um rather than you know using your um your you know, going in strong with your shield and dark souls or trying to uh just be more kind of aggressive on the attack with Bloodborne. This is a game that incentivizes you to utilize stealth and to utilize parrying, especially. 
which is not something I've ever been good at in a Dark Souls game before. Uh, luckily, this game does have some forgiving parrying mechanics, I would say, for as difficult as the game is. Um, its parrying is, I found it easier to execute than it was in the, the previous Souls games. But it's really, I mean, Fantasy Japan is a setting that obviously has been explored in some genres more than others. I just, I loved every moment in this world, essentially. Like, I just love being in that world. It was a very strong sense of place. Um, I feel like it does a better job than Dark Souls at portraying areas that are meant to be more kind of traditionally beautiful and peaceful, um, even though there is still plenty to be scared of in those locations. Uh, it, it is really, um, there are some areas that will really take your breath away. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of a similar format of going through very, very carefully and very well-designed routes uh, through these mostly kind of like linear areas, clearing out hordes of uh, lower level enemies that respawn when you uh, when you camp out and, you know, working your way up to tackling some of the bosses, which always seem near impossible when you first encounter them. But then eventually you kind of wrap your head around what the battle is, uh, what the battle entails. There's so much at your disposal. There's uh, different shinobi prosthetics, uh, different tools that you can use to make battling and exploration puzzle solving a little bit easier. There's personal enhancements and um, that kind of thing, rather than the, the more traditional leveling up and gear swapping and um, weapon swapping and playstyle changing that you would get in the other Souls types of games. So it's it's very different. It has some of the roots of the Souls series that made that series such a mainstay in the industry today, but um, this one is uh, fascinating in the differences that it does have. Yeah, what I think is really interesting about uh, Sekiro is it had probably my favorite first playthrough of a From game, probably my favorite second playthrough of a From game, but I don't know if there will be a a tenth one, which sounds absurd, but it's something that I have done with basically every Souls game and Bloodborne. Because this game is is a much more tightly uh, kind of controlled experience in terms of like you have one sword and you have multiple shinobi prosthetics, but those don't really fundamentally alter the way that you play. What that allows them to deliver are these incredibly tightly scripted uh, boss fights, especially and and just like levels for you to traverse in ways where they they knew exactly what your abilities are and they could tune enemies precisely to that. But then once you know how to do that, like, I can I can breeze through this game now and I don't really have the same options of, you know, doing it with a a strength build versus a dex build versus a magic build like you do in Dark Souls. And that's totally not a criticism of it, but I just think it it represents a really interesting departure for the team. The thing that I fell in love with most of this game is just the core combat system. Like like both of you have already mentioned, th- this game does strip away a lot of you know the the more RPG leaning um, side of the 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 Souls uh, games. 
that you don't have a lot of choice. In fact, you have almost no choice in terms of like um, your weapons and what items you take into battle. It's you, it's your blade, and you've just got to figure out how to get through the enemy. As Jacob said, like some of these boss fights are just ab absolute favorites of mine. Um, the final boss, who I won't name because that's a spoiler in of itself. Um, at first, I was aggravated by, but by the end, I totally fell in love with. Um, um, there's one design mistake with that that final encounter, and it's just why do I have to fight that first guy who's not part of the boss fight every single time? But apart from that, it's I just it's one amongst my favorite boss encounters in in the entire Souls uh, pantheon, um, and just the feeling of perfectly deflecting um but when you've when you've got a boss when you've like right i have you i know you and i know the timing perfectly and you just absolutely nail the timing on deflections with a whole series of you know combos from the the enemy character or, or boss character it feels so good it feels so good um and you know, I, I know this game has kind of divided the Souls community a little bit as they were, you know, Dark Souls kind of struck that perfect balance of RPG and action game. And this veers way, way, way more into the kind of character action side of things and almost completely abandons the RPG side. And for those people who, uh, for, who are after the RPG side feel a little bit kind of left by the wayside. And I totally appreciate that. But as somebody who's a big fan of both character action games and RPGs, um, this, uh, this is, you know, re this is really, you know, top class stuff. Um, and I'm looking forward to Elden Ring and them returning, you know, to the more RPG side of things and, and exploring that side a bit more. Um, this was a great departure for From Software. And um, I'm looking forward to their to more new ideas from them going forward. I love how many secrets there are to discover in the game. Um, all of it is so uh, mysterious, and it leads to this feeling of a very like layered. I, I I love the way that it controls. Like it, it feels great to just kind of like run around. Especially I'm playing on PC, so I got the 60 frames on that. Uh, my only my only big complaint, and I know that this is kind of a tired point at this point, but I feel like there's a certain point in the game where it got too difficult and it just, you know, that's all a very subjective thing, but it kind of discourages me from wanting to go back and do another playthrough, just knowing that I'm going to hit that point where for me and my personal level of hand-eye coordination, it just gets to be a bit too much. Uh, and there's nothing, there's no like real mitigating factors like there are in Dark Souls and Bloodborne. Like it is just getting good, as they say. There's a horrendous line that people attribute to all the Dark Souls games that you just need to get good. And I've always hated that sentiment, um, partly because it's just sort of stupid meme culture that puts that forwards, but also because I don't think it's true. Like I've played all of the Dark Souls games and Bloodborne. Um, I've played every single one of them up to like New Game Plus 2, Plus 3. I don't believe I have ever gotten good at any of those games. There's always a, an alternative to actually being skillful. Uh, you can always run away from a fight and go and do something different or go and change your equipment or go and grind and level up or 
summon in three other people to go and gank the boss with you. You never actually need to be that skillful at it. You can always find another way through. And the problem that I've come up against with Sekiro now is that you don't have that option. You do actually have to be skillful at it. And I jumped onto the game. I absolutely adored the the style and the um, the setting and everything about it. And I got, I want to say I'm probably about halfway through the the campaign. And I got to a point where I'd done everything that I could. I'd gone to all of the other branching paths that I could. And I just had to go down this this one one route that I'd got to and I came up against a boss that I probably put more attempts into than any other boss in any other Souls or Bloodborne game that I played up until that point and it just frustrated me so much and I completely agree that this is what people talk about with Dark Souls this feeling of you bash your head up against something over and over and over and then you finally get it and that satisfaction is there and I won't, you know, I can't lie, that's happened numerous times with Sekiro in basically every single previous boss fight. I've had the most frustration that I've ever had against the Souls boss, followed by then a feeling of the most satisfaction that I've ever had against the Souls boss when I've beaten them finally. But unfortunately, I got to a point where I think something else came along and I was busy and I put it down and it's now been about six months and I know every day I think I need to go back and keep going with this but the longer it goes since I've gotten to it the less likely I am to actually retain any of the the information or the memory skills or anything about how to do it so it's kind of now in this catch-22 loop of I want to get there but it's feels more and more inconceivable the longer the time goes on and i'm sure one day i will do it and i'll beat it and i'll do the whole go up to new game plus three souls thing but for the time being i kind of feel overwhelmed with it just to quickly play devil's advocate i am so sorry for doing so because i do think that you know i'm in favor of the difficulty settings and everything but i actually found this game fairly liberating in its lack of stats because there were frequently times in souls games where i would come up to a boss and not know if i needed to just quote unquote get good or or if i was supposed to level up more if Mm -hmm. i was supposed to have a more powerful weapon or something and so playing sekiro and knowing that like when I reached something, I would have what I needed to take it down, and it was really just, like, a mental thing, was, for me, you know, like, a fairly pleasurable experience because I knew what I had to focus on, Um, and so I really like that tight design. But that being said, I totally get (laughs) why why that, uh, you know, leads to incredible frustration as well. Well, yeah, it's it's both, isn't it? It's the worst thing in the world, having 30 attempts or something and just getting constantly beaten down. And then when you actually click with it and do it, then it's it's better than anything else. Because, again, with the Souls thing, you can just summon people in. You can just get a really big sword and you can just put Havel's armor on and destroy everything. And there's no there's no real sense that you've actually achieved it. You've just kind of gamed the system. Whereas Sekiro, you have to achieve it, and that's great. But you have to do it, and, that, that you know, that's a battle and a half. 
I just want to add one more positive. Um, the animations mm-hmm. in Sekiro is uh, best in class. Um, I think the Guardian Ape uh, should be used in uh, lectures on um, uh, character animation. I think it is an incredible piece of work. Um, just the aggression, ferocity, and just little touches of... Um, what feels like inspiration from from real life uh, source material, um, footage of apes or what have you. It's just really, really strong. And um, I just pick my favorite. I think there are multiple examples in the game um, that demonstrate a really good grasp of how much animation, not just visual uh, visual design, but animation can enhance the power, ferocity, and intimidation. Of, uh, of an enemy character. Right. Smoke and Sacrifice. Mikhail, why did you pick this um, one? I reviewed it for the Kenny Rins website. Same with, with uh, Dance of Death. Um, and it's also a game that came out actually a year before on Switch. So I'm stretching it a little bit, of course. But we haven't done a 2018 wrap-up. So that's kind of cool in itself, isn't it? So Smoke and Sacrifice is built as an RPG, but it's really not much of an RPG. It's more of a Zelda-style overworld exploration uh, game uh, in which you slowly but surely craft your equipment together in order to face harder and harder challenges as a mother in search of her lost son, who she previously thought was dead. Smoky, uh, hostile fantasy environment and what attracted me to this game initially was it's sort of um, vanillaware art style stylings very reminiscent of those that sort of beautiful hand-drawn artwork animated in a very specific sort of way sort of like what you see in the in in those vanillaware games almost like storybook uh, illustrations come to life so yeah you can read my full review on the Kenny Rins website but I came away from this feeling sort of similar as I felt with most um vanillaware games is that it yeah I mean you've played stuff like this before probably you know combat crafting puzzle solving in in a more polished uh and uh, in in more polished and more refined ways but uh the artwork does make for me, at least, make uh, make up for uh, for for where the game falls short and makes it more enjoyable than it otherwise would. The unlikely legend of Rusty Pup, Ryan. Tell us your feelings on this um, one. Yeah, I'm probably going to be a lot briefer than Mikhail is on this one. It's uh, one that I've played. It's a interesting. It's kind of like a Lemmings type game in a way, where you're not directly controlling the character. You were just kind of offering it suggestions of where to go and then making sure that the path is safe when it does go there. Um, it's all narrated in a uh, really, um, really playful uh, storybook kind of way by uh, the um, the voice of most of the characters of Conquer's Bad Fur Day. So if, if that kind of thing sounds appealing to you, then this might be just what you're looking for. Um, I found this one to be a little uh, a little un a little difficult to read for how um for for being a puzzle game where you really have to kind of read the environment quickly uh sometimes it took a little bit of fiddling around to understand what was a foreground object what was a background object what was the edge of a cliff how far was too far before my character wasn't safe anymore but um it's it's 
very inventive, and I'm really curious to hear what Mikhail has to say about it. Well, I got uh, I found the game so hard to read that I got stuck on the title <laughs> screen. <laughs> Apparently, you have to sort of shift letters mm. around to uh, make make the options appear, which I didn't register at all. I was pressing all the key buttons on my keyboard, <laughs> clicking my mouse. Uh, but yeah, I'm um, I haven't played far into this game either. Still planning to do do so though. I think it's absolutely beautiful looking and uh, and sounding. It has this really unique art style to it. Uh, very high on detail as well. The the character of of Rusty Pup is is very curious, or like a little robotic storybook dog. The odd rhyme, sort of uh, creepy nursery rhyming of uh, the narrator, as voiced by Chris Seaver, is uh, kind of kind of engaging. But it's a very it's one of those real diabolical puzzle games. Uh, I kind of agree with Ryan on the on the re- readability, but it's yeah it's it's particularly nasty and demanding, and even a little bit stress inducing when you see the the yeah rusty pup roll along. And, uh, you know, you, you need, need to, you need to act fast to make sure he doesn't die. But, um, yeah, you, you, you know, it's not, 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 uh, not very easy to figure out how to, to prevent him from, uh, from dying. Right. Uh, Mikhail, why don't you introduce us to the next yeah. one? So did you guys ever hear of, uh, Visco? Visco? Visco, Visco, would it be? Uh, no. Other Instagram? Visco. No, no. No, I'm not. I'm not surprised because they're a fairly lesser-known uh, developer of arcade games. They have a few classics under their their belt, uh, specifically Breaker's Revenge, which is still it's a mid-90s fighting game, which is still being played uh, on, inside tournaments at uh, at uh, yeah large large fighting game tournaments. And they've also published in 2000 and 2001 uh, the games Vazara and Vazara 2, which are vertically scrolling shoot 'em ups. In the style of Psycho games, if that means anything to you. So that means not exactly bullet hell, but still a large spread of bullets uh, that travel very fast across the screen. Uh, the setting is uh, of both games is um, yeah, sort of feudal Japan mixed with sci-fi in a similar sense, uh, like Sim- Samurai Aces or, uh, or Musha Alest. So all, all fairly, fairly odd. Uh, and what sets these two games apart is that you've got a chargeable melee attack that cancels out enemy bullets. So you'll find yourself, once you start to uh, fall into the rhythm and the beats of the game, that more often than not, you're just charging your melee attack and then uh, yeah, destroying larger enemies and cutting uh, paths through the, the bullet sprays. So fairly interesting stuff. Came this year, came... Uh, they've were for the first time officially uh, released for home consoles uh, and the PC, I believe, uh, in the Vasara collection. I got on this early because it, there was a pre-order bonus on the Switch version that if you uh, yeah if you would buy the uh, the game before its uh, actual release, you, you would get a ridiculous discount. So the game was something like uh, four or five euros or something. And it also, this collection also contains a, uh, it's called Vasara Modern or something like that, which is basically both games jammed up into a, instead of a vertical screen resolution, a 16 by 9 uh, screen resolution recreated with, uh, with polygons. Fairly slick looking. Uh, all the characters of Vasara 1 and 2 are in there. All the bosses of Vasara 1 and 2 are in there. A lot of enemies. And it's four player enabled. So it's, it's uh, a lot of mayhem. 
I do have to warn anybody that's, uh, that sounds interested though to probably not get the Switch version because the 3D elements of the game, like the, the Vasara Modern Collection is decidedly less polished looking than it is on the PS4 and other platforms where it has a li- little bit more spit shine and, uh, is a little bit more fluid. Uh, doesn't have as, uh, as many, uh, frame rate hiccups in the 3D versions, but, uh, the the uh yeah the old school games that are or the the, the 2000 game and the 2001 game of Fazara one and two, they're unaffected. They're the same, pretty much the same across uh, all platforms. Okay, so next we have Void Bastards. Um, John, introduce us to this one. Uh, this is another um, Game Pass day one release, which I jumped onto fairly early on. Um, my my love for ridiculously in-depth roguelikes, I think, is pretty well documented. I mean, we could do... To be perfectly honest, they just released the Barney of Isaac Afterbirth Plus on Xbox. So, I mean, we could probably talk about that if we're talking about 2019 releases. But uh, we'll maybe we'll stick to Void Bastards for the time being. Um, I didn't play um, as much of this as I, I know I will end up doing... Um, mainly because I'm still absolutely deep in various other similar games that are my almost like my podcast or music games that I can just stick on for a few hours and play while I'm doing other stuff in the background. And Void Bastards will 100% become one of those, but I kind of need to finish at least one or two of the other ones first. Um, I really enjoyed the maybe four or five hours I spent playing this. i I fully admit I've gotten virtually nowhere with it. I barely did the first couple of objectives that pop up, but it's a really fun, really silly, really just, I don't know if fun and silly probably describes the best part of it. It's, it's a roguelike with first, it's a first person shooter from a mechanical, mechanical perspective uh, with sort of elements of you, uh, piloting a spaceship you go throughout a system trying to find various parts to continue going you land on different spaceships there are enemies there are say fuel cells and uh, batteries and various things that you need to continue your journey along the way there are a lot of really stupid little enemies that all shout at you in what i believe are scottish accents but it's kind of hard to tell when they've sound like they've been pitched up about four octaves it's it's just a lot of fun. It's it's something that, like I said, I've not played anywhere near as much as I want to play of it, but I need to go back as soon as I can. As far as uh, first-person shooters go, this one kind of rides the line between, between being empowering and disempowering. Uh, you're always short on ammo, but you always feel like your guns can at least do the job that they're there for. It, it has a, a super nice and really, really uh, elegant, readable art style that that looks like a graphic novel or something like that. And um, all of the characters are in uh, very intentional shades of color and, and everything is just uh, really clean, really slick, really fresh in its imp- implementation. There's really nothing that looks like it. Uh, it. It's very cool. You're kind of, you go around these different uh, somewhat randomly or procedurally generated spaceships there to just kind of loot all of these derelict ships and clear out enemies that are inside of them and take the little bits of supplies that you can uh, you can pull out of the drawers and stuff and it has that you know that kind of very fun loop of uh the looter shooter in a way 
And um, again, I need to actually buckle down and spend some more time with it, but it's, it's enjoyable. And it's something that I think you could either dedicate a whole weekend to or something that'd be very comfortable to just kind of like pop in and out of you know once every couple months it's it's very easily at some point down the line going to become my kind of forever um uh, roguelike game that i replace isaac and spelunky and void their uh, rogue legacy and things with like once i've finished some of those this will be the thing that i play for the next three years for 800 hours like, without doubt John, um, the next one is uh, a title that only you have played. Um, we met in May. Why don't you talk us through this one? Yeah, this is also a very interesting, like almost a micro game. Um, I've only played this uh, over the last couple of days. It only came out about two months ago. Uh, developed by uh, Nina Freeman and Jake Jeffries. Uh, Nina, who has done various work for uh, Fulbright, it's essentially a, a little collection of four micro games, mini games that are all pretty much. Uh, I mean, it's it's just about how Nina and Jake met, and each micro game is kind of the story of one of the dates that they went on, and it only lasts for a few minutes. Imagine if you played Dream Daddy from a couple of years ago. The little mini games that pop up in that in the middle of the you know the dates that you're going on where you break a guy's vase and you have to kind of put the pieces back together or a like rhythm game while there's a punk band playing at a club it's a little bit like that you play all these tiny little i, I really don't know how to describe this and do it the justice that it deserves it's it's just a cute kind of quirky funny little thing about essentially the emotions that go along with how you feel and you know the neuroses and things that happen when you're on first dates with people. Um, it, it was only a few pounds on steam and it took me about 20 minutes to play through it. So if there's anything that you like about what Nina's done previously with Fulbright, it kind of captures some of those emotions, but in an incredibly bite size, uh, easy to take in style. And our final game um, on our list uh, for this session is Wolfenstein Young Blood. Jacob, you're a huge fan of this, weren't you? You've absolutely adored it. From Boy, what I, hear. I have never wanted to like a game more. I am, I am so committed to the Wolfenstein series. I love those first two games in this new rebooted universe so much. And I read the reviews and I thought, well, everyone else disliked this game, but I'm going to be the one who really gets it and sees what they were going for. And I uh, stopped playing, I don't know, three hours in. It is it is astonishingly bad. Like I, I am lucky enough to not have to play many bad games because I, you know, I, I have friends whose word I trust and and reviewers that I read before I purchase things. This game is just inept. I mean, like, so so the entire thing is built around online co-op, and so if you're playing it not online, you have an absolutely brain dead partner who will fail missions because she dies and uses up all your lives. And if you're playing with a human person, then both of you get to experience just how bad the guns feel and how useless everything seems against enemies that are always over leveled um, compared to you, and. At one point, I died, and the previous checkpoint was literally 45 minutes earlier, like through multiple loading screens. And and at that point, I was just like, 
It's just not worth it. Like, even though I like the the setup to the game and it might do more interesting things story-wise later on, like, it just has so little to offer in terms of actual gameplay that I just couldn't continue with it. And what a shame. So all of the things that we massively praised, like the New Order and the New Colossus for, they're really... Like unbelievably good storytelling from a Wolfenstein game, and the weighty feel of it, and the the thematic resonance of uh, you know the Nazis sweeping across the globe. You're not getting any of that from this. Well, so I shouldn't say that because the the opening cutscene is very good, and and there is totally the potential of more interesting story in this, but it's a fundamentally different style of game than the previous ones, where it's essentially, you know, you're kind of, it's not open world, but there are several small hubs and you're running uh, quests for different people around those. And so the proportion of your time spent playing the game versus you know, absorbing the story or listening to interesting conversations is way more skewed than it was in the other ones. And so you just have to spend more time with the gunplay and with the level design, which is just weaker on on a whole. And and they have this whole system of like leveling up and getting different abilities. And so it just makes you feel ineffective while you're playing. And maybe maybe that goes away by the end of it. But I I just don't have it in me to find out. Well, that's it for this session. Keep listening for more opinions on 2019's games. Bye-bye. Thank you, folks, for session three of The Discussions That Make Up the Caterance End of Year Gaming Powwow. <laughs> uh, thanks again to Ryan for putting this all together, editing, organizing, and so on and so forth. And we'll be back for another wholesome daily drop tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>